Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement. Help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 128. Today we have another incredible family and friends guest episode, but I don't think we're calling it a family and friends guest episode. This is one of the first official Hebrews episodes. Hebrews. So congratulations, Professor Penn, on the launch of Hebrews. This is it right here. We're going to end up eventually moving to a different space for the Hebrews podcast, but we thought since we're up and running, we might as well run it right here. Um, we're going to get a little bit more relaxed in the future. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, these aren't relaxing times, but, yeah, but we welcome need, back. We, welcome need a, back. we need a little humor. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't kill us. Well, the issue is it's so serious for me. I'm, I'm beset with anxiety. I wake up every morning with a feeling of dread. Do any of our listeners and viewers have a feeling of dread? Dread. A feeling of dread. Like something really bad is happening or about to happen. Because I want to self-diagnose myself. Maybe I'm losing it, but I wake up every mor every morning with a feeling of dread. Do I need help, or do you think that's a reasonable kind of feeling? Can't say. Not your age. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem all that dreadful to me. I mean, it just seems like exactly what, what you should expect from a decadent society. And as a young 32-year-old man, um, you know, sometimes you got to arm up and go to war for the country. Sometimes you got to die for your country. Sometimes shit gets crazy, unfair. You know, it just, it just is what it is. I mean, you know, we keep, we keep fighting along and, and, and go after it the way, it's, uh, the, way it, the way it's laid out before us. Let me just see if I understand this correctly. I want to make sure I get this right. Mm -hmm. What I think I'm hearing you say is my dread could be age-related. I mean, I think fear is always relative to people's age. You know, like when you're a little kid, you know, I see these videos when you're a little kid and you're in the backyard and you just happen to have a pool in your backyard. Yeah, yeah. Privileged enough to have a pool in your backyard. Some of us are, some of us aren't. Down there for the snowbirds, that's what they call them, right? Snowbirds down there in Florida? Florida. Right. Snowbirds, right? Snowbirds. Every house has a pool in the back. Florida's funny. You fly over. Lord, and you can see how many little tiny houses have have pools. I remember going down and playing in nationals when I was younger, and you know we stayed in a villa sometimes. And there's just tons of villas, little little you know, small humble four bedroom little villas with a little Bungalows. pool in the back. Yeah, with a pool in the back. Yeah, Minnesota, a lot less likely to have a pool. Probably doing pretty well. Anyway, even you go to a local watering hole pool, you see these three year olds, four year olds. I mean, they just walk right up to the, the pool and jump in with no real fear of drowning because they don't understand the concept of drowning. Now, when they're in there and they start drowning, then the fear sets in. So, you know, fear is always age-related, I think. I see a lot of young people my age. This is a, a go-to thing of mine right now. I'm posting all these videos that I'm finding. Maybe the algorithm's spitting them out to me. But, um, well, I know the algorithm's spitting them out to me because I'm I'm watching them and I'm reposting them, share, I'm sharing them. So the, the algorithm's giving me more content that they think I'll share. But it's all these guys, you know, they're like, I'd say anywhere from 18 to 
30, uh, young, you know, mostly white males um, doing high risk parkour or, you know, skydiving or, you know, uh, I saw one video the other day of a guy, he had found a, a nuclear reactor, what looked like an old nuclear reactor. Worn down, it was just, you know, all, it wasn't really even functioning. I don't know where he was in the world. Maybe he was in Chernobyl. I don't know where he was. Yeah. But, um, you know, and he was, you know, he had his camera out. He was filming himself, and, you know, he was just down, like, in the nuclear reactor, walking on, you know, tight, tight spaces, like almost a, a man-made uh, structural tightrope type of deal. And, and I'm seeing him all over the place, like guys going to the top of skyscrapers and, you know, they're running and jumping, catching the ledge. And then they're like, look at this hang. You know, it's like a little, it's like a thing. It's like a little community. And I just watch it and think to myself, fuck, you people are nihilistic, nihilistic as hell. I think they have more testosterone than good sense. I don't even know if it's testosterone driven. It doesn't seem like a manly thing to do. It's like a pseudo, it's like a pseudo masculine well, thing. They're risking their lives. High risk yeah, but behavior. Are they, but, High risk behavior. But is it really, you know, when we talk about risking your life, risking your life, you know, it, it, it's relative to what it's for. High risk and no reward. It's relative to what it's for, right? Right. I, I mean, God, family, country. You risk your life for one of those things, there's some honor in it. When you just risk your life because you're like, the world isn't really that good of a place anyway, so what the hell? You're a Satanist, probably. Well, I think that uh, for my age group, we did very high-risk things. Like what? Well, there was military service. That was risk. I mean, yeah. my, <laughs> But, I mean, I remember, uh, I know I was about 18 years old, and I walked out of the health club one day, mm -hmm. and it was a snowstorm, a real Minnesota. Get down. Like you couldn't see five feet away from me. It was raining snow. And there was this dude that I used to train with. His name was, if he's out there listening, he'll probably call me his name because I remember his name. His name was Blaine Notes. And he kind of had a real, he was a real sharp dresser and he was in great shape. And it turned out what he did for a living was he did window cleaning on high-rise skyscrapers. So that's what he did for a living, which is pretty high risk, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, he says to me, he goes, you want to go on a wilding? I go, what'd you have in mind? Imagine this now. It's a complete crazy snowstorm. He says, you see that train on the track there? That's right. He said, let's jump that train and run that train. Well, I had no idea what he had in mind. But I was 18, and I couldn't say no. Why, why did you feel you couldn't say no? Because it was... Uh, he was calling you out? Yeah, kind of. Well, he wasn't calling me out. He was like saying, let's go do something crazy, kind of. You know, more testosterone than good sense. Yeah. No, people, I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I haven't been a victim to peer pressure to do stupid things um, in my lifetime. I was telling somebody the other day, I went to a, an after-school program that was funded um, by some, some grant, you know, program or something. I don't know. It's probably funded by the state or maybe the federal government. I don't know. But it was at the YWCA. For any of those of you out there who's, you know, across the country, you got YMCAs, but they're also YWCAs. I don't even know what the YWCA even stood for. Who cares? Not really relevant to the story. But at the YWCA in our neighborhood, there was a after-school program called the YAP, the Youth Achievement Program. And um, it's funny, you know, 
you put a name like achievement on it and it makes it seem real legitimate. Like there's something noteworthy scholarly going on there. Right. But there was nothing really scholarly going on there. And I don't say that as a knock, actually what it was and what I looking back now, think it did for me is it, it just uh, conditioned me to accept um, a sort of humble, regular, non-risk-taking lifestyle in a place where risky behavior in the inner cities, at least the, the neighborhood I come from, uh, often becomes the norm, especially for young black men. And it was a very beneficial thing. Like, I was telling somebody the other day, it's like, you go to school, you get off from school, they'd send a van, they had these vans, right? And they come get kids from their school, pick them right up from school, bring them to the YWCA to do that school program. And you got kids from all over different schools, right? But maybe at your school, there was like four or five, six people. And, you know, the other school, you know, it's probably like 150 people during the school year, maybe 100. Summer's a little bit bigger, like 200 people. And we go to the YWCA, and every day you'd go, you'd get a snack. You know, there was a funded snack. They'd have little, you know, Cheez-Its or Ritz or whatever, crackers or some string cheese, an apple, some, you know, milk, whatever, whatever the deal is. And then you do some type of activity. They'd always allot like a little 40 minute window to do homework. You could continue to do homework all day or you could, um, you know, there was an activity for the day that, that you could choose to participate in. Sometimes it was go to the computer lab and play Sims or computer games or learn how to do deal with some new software. Sometimes it was a field trip to some, you know, like the Minnesota Kid Children's Museum or something like that. And every day you had the choice to swim. So like, let's say you got there at three. And, you know, the, the activity started at four, right? When you got back at like five, six, you could swim, right? Because there was a pool at the, at the place. And um, it, was, it, was, it was one of those things where you, you just come and it taught me just act, act normal, be regular. And there's, there's something profoundly grateful about being able to, to look at your own life and not need some elaborate, you know, thing, some elaborate reward, some elaborate goal. Even, you know, some of these people's goals are so lofty. It's another thing I'm seeing on Instagram. Everybody wants to own, a, a, you know, a, own some timeshare or be able to travel the world and, and you know, go to Mykonos and, and, you know, take video of themselves with some, some Instagram whore. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of, the, the, the lack of humility is really starting to shine through. In, in our culture. And I just grew up when I was going to these after school programs, it was like, look, every day, you know, and it wasn't boring. I'm not saying except the mundane, right? Because sacrificing your life for your country or your family or your, or your faith is not a mundane thing. But there is a problem in our country, I think, of people getting beyond their skis. That is definitely from the top down in, in many ways. Um, manufactured from the top down, I should say. But I remember going to Saturday school program, just to get off school, you know, ride over to the program. You know, maybe there was some little cute girl that I that I was fond of that I wanted to talk to, and I'd find time to, you know, try and work that in. Or I had some boys that were there, and we find time to goof off and tell our jokes or whatever. We go to the pool, we go to the basketball court, you know, we do our thing. When I left, my mom, single mom, come pick me up. I'd be on my way to basketball practice. See you guys again tomorrow, and that was cool. <clears throat> I mean, that was fine. It was good for me. So I never, and another thing you kind of learn when you grow up in a, in a crazy neighborhood, like if you're not involved in crazy shit that actually would put your life in danger, you hear so much crazy shit 
that you kind of avoid danger. Like, you know, you're not going to see a lot of black people doing parkour from 110-story buildings. Now, you might find some young black men carrying automatic weapons and they'll shoot each other on a moment's notice for dumb shit. And, you know, that I'm just trying to express the dichotomy. You, tell, I, I, you know, that's not even asking a question. I'm just making a statement. Well, we're going back to the, the age thing. You know, you, your, your auntie was, my dread could be age-related. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great comment. And I never thought about it that way. Partly because I've had dread off and on my entire life. Might have something to do with my uh, father telling me about all of his relatives being butchered just yeah. 15 years previously to my birth, you know. But, um, you know, it's so different. Like, you know, you're talking about going to this program and working on software. And there was no computers when I was at that age, right? Right, right. There was, I, you know, I tell this story. Would you guys have a calculators and etch-a-sketches and shit like that? Or we didn't have calculators. Typewriters? Typewriters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had typewriters and we had, jeez, uh, there was slide rules. I hadn't thought about that for a long time. Have you ever seen a slide rule? Uh, maybe. Maybe if I saw it. It's a, it's a ruler with a slide. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've you calculated yeah. there with that. It was yeah. like a precursor. I remember the first Texas Instruments calculator I got. Oh, that was exciting. But, you know, the the... The um, ethos around maleness was very different, I think. And I just say this because I'm around a lot of young people, and I've mm-hmm. said this many times. Now I'm going to, what's great about this for the viewers and listeners? I mean, we're just talking to each other, right? Yeah. And everybody gets to watch us talk. Yeah. It's pretty cool, actually. There is that kind of, oh, people are going to watch this. But this is actually how we, we talk to each other. And I, I've said to you many times, one of my, greatest uh, joys in meeting you is you're male in a way that my generation was male. And that's not something I, and I have a lot of young people working for me, as you know, and I can't even relate to a lot of these people Mm. because the idea of maleness and the rules around how you express your maleness has just changed so much in my lifetime that it's very hard and, you know, this is a paradigm shift, so I'm of the old paradigm. You know, I just tell a story. My seventh grade, first day at school, 600 young men in my school. Mm-hmm. I remember these dudes' names, the, the uh, Fayette teachers, Mr. Fury and Mr. Johnson. The first day, strip. Okay, now we're going to go out and run. Oh, this is a kinky school. Oh, and it was a competition. Mm. And if you weren't up front, they didn't have any rules about being kind, okay? Right. They were mean. Military style. Beyond yeah, military. I mean, they were actually, they degraded and they were, uh, you know, very deprecating towards the kids that couldn't keep up. The fat kids. The fat kids took a real Beaten. weapon. Yeah. 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 In fact, Mr. Johnson had a paddle with holes in it, and the kid that came up last at the end, he paddled him just for being last. Wow. And that was in the public schools. Mm. You know, we had shop. People cut their fingers off, regular. You know, stuff like that. So the whole... A lot of nubs in your generation, huh? Well, as a matter of fact, you shake hands with somebody, you go, oh, you must have been in Mr. Uh, Alverson's uh, metal class. <laughs> but it, there was... See a, me, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even have participated in a class like that. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's changed. That's what I'm. I mean, you know, not not that man shouldn't work with his hands, but you know, there's just a there's just a 
me, I wouldn't have trusted the other jerk offs in the class not to bump me and make, you know, I just, you know, when I'm out on the road, for example, the road gives me anxiety because I'm acutely aware of how many other jerk offs are out there on the road. I've driven in the car with you. Yeah, you know, I'm, I mean, it's, oh, my, I'm one of the best, but I'm a very good driver because yes, of that. You some are. things, some things though, you can never predict because I mean, the road is Well, you're predicting dangerous. them. You have, I'm, I'm going to just calculate tell, them. No, I'm just telling you, your awareness, your spatial awareness, yeah. but I want to say, you know, the first time I was ever in an elevator with you, the elevator was closing on me and your leg popped out there and stopped it from hitting me. And if you remember what I said to you, you've precluded me from protecting myself. I don't like that. Don't do it again. <laughs> remember? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, but I'm just going back to that. Um, what, what I'm saying is maybe your dread is, you know, somebody's going to get the drop on you because you're a little bit, little bit older. And I'm here to let all our boomers know, us, us young people, we're, we're here. We're not, we're not going to let these Marxists communist Good, satanic prove it, prove it fucks take over and and run away with things great we just yeah. had a we just had an off year election and we had a national voter turnout of about 20 percent mm. on the verge of or we're not really on the verge of nuclear war but nuclear war is being advertised it's out there it's out there it's mm. in people's minds now there's two armed conflicts of significance going on three four what are the other two um China, Taiwan, China, Taiwan didn't crack out yet, though. But it's right there. It's coming. It's every day. Yeah, and uh, the other one is India and Kashmir. I sent you that thing from no the, Pakistan and India. But remember, Kashmir. I sent you that thing from. Uh, yeah, I got off of X. Did you see that text oh, I sent you? That's the narrative. The narrative is, hey, payback time. Time for that was a, another crown invention. Yep. Sorry, Pakistan, your time is up. Yeah. That's really what the Indians are saying. Yeah, I don't know if they got the juice to pull that one off. What do you think? Well, they both have nuclear weapons. Pakistan seems a little bit more, a little bit more uh, aggressive. They're a little more organized than Hamas is. They have nuclear I'd say, weapons. I'd say much more organized. Right, than they're Hamas they're ready, willing, and able. Yeah, and I will say that the hatred that exists between the Muslims of Pakistan and the Hindus of India is every bit as ferocious. As the Jews and the, the, Jews in the, the Palestinians. Palestinians? Absolutely. And I've been there. Probably, maybe worse. I'm going to tell a story. I tell it. I feel like the Jews, I, I, I mean, people, when, when any time a conflict breaks out in Israel and we all get to our which side of the Israel-Palestine thing are you on, you know, the caricatures are so crazy. If you've ever been to Israel, you know anybody from Israel, you know you know Palestinians, If you like here in Minneapolis, we have a very prominent Jewish Community, I mean, at least here in Hopkins, where I went to high school, right? My friends, the school, the backyard, yeah. is a major synagogue. Yeah, synagogue. I mean, the synagogue. You could hit the synagogue with a rock. I wouldn't never throw a rock at the synagogue. Please but don't. You know what I mean? It's right there. It's a stone throw with, away. He who is without sin cast at the first stone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, we have a very prominent Jewish community. <laughs> How do we back into well, that one? That was. Okay, audience, we, this is Hebrews. We're getting it down. We better we better not break that McAllen out. We break that McAllen out, we're going to have what, problems. this one right here? Get a shot of that. The professor here, if you guys can see on this, uh, on the camera here, the professor brought us uh, uh, an 18-year-old bottle of McAllen. Well, that's McAllen 18. Yes. See, this is something maybe you haven't seen before. 
This is, according to our good friend Thomas the Good, this is the nectar of the gods. So at some point when you're ready, we're just going to leave it on the table when you're ready. I'm actually going to go into, yeah, we'll leave it here. We'll do it. We'll do it one day. Maybe next week. No, two weeks from now. I brought it in because it's the first episode of Hebrews. Celebration. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 to the, and to the audience, you know, we have been, as Free People Radio, only on air for less than a year, and the engagement is growing at a very beautiful, in a very beautiful way, and we're meeting the people in the live chats. We're both going into the live chats. We have an audience. We have a community. It's yep. great. We and, the, to... and, you know, the algorithm will always fight against us. The algor- we're, we're now at a point in social media or video content sharing where the tech oligarchs, the, the, the people that sit on high there in Palo Alto or Silicon Valley, wherever they are, um, they're always going to have a leg up in trying to uh, censor, soft censor people through shadow banning and things like that. I've seen it on my channel. You've seen it on yours. You've had content taken down. I've had content actually taken I've down. I've had content taken down. To this day, I can't, and I just, I, you know, I went to go see, I went to do an interview with Vivek Ramaswamy recently, and then Alex Jones goes right after me, so, you know, that's kind of quite an honor. Uh, it was like I did this huge international conference, and I spoke right before Archbishop Vigano didn't even know it was going to happen. It's just like strange things that end up being uh, a real honor uh, after the fact when you look back. But Alex Jones did an interview with with, with Vivek, half a million views already, 600,000, something like that. They're probably shadow banning that. But, you know, they took my interview with Alex Jones down. I guess when you get a powerful guy like they Alex do, Jones, they, took, they your... took it down completely and gave me a strike or they gave me a warning. Yeah. But Vivek got away with it. But Vivek was able to do, you know, so it's almost, it, if you're big enough to where it's going to be a problem, then the rules are different, right? And that that's just, you know, that's well, a symptom running, of the time. He is running for uh, president. president. Yeah, everybody's watching. And he just lambasted the audience. We're going to get to that day. in a moment. But I wanted to say in terms of the censorship, um, the growth of the channel is slow and steady. Uh, at least my channel is slow and steady. Yours is slow and steady. So if you can out there, please hit the like button, uh, make a comment, share, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But, but we also have to do some things internally to, to boost visibility, uh, which is short-driven. Everybody wants their little 10-second fix, and, and I hate that. You know, part of me rejects that because— French fries politics. Politics with French fries, yeah, but even more so, I just don't think people should speak in ten second sound bites. I don't think we should look for people to speak in ten second sound bites, and I don't think people should want to create content for the ten second sound bites. I certainly don't. If we get a great fifteen second bit out of a two hour conversation, good. But part of the problem, and I said on my podcast uh, for I think it was Wednesday, um, part of the huge problem in this country is people just don't believe in and being disciplined and committed enough. Uh, to, to spend the time they need to to deal with the complexity and nuance of the issues we face. 20% of the American citizens voted on November 7th. 20%. You know, if 57% would have voted, I would have been insulted by that. Because for those of us that are willing to give everything for the country, and, you know, I'm not trying to make a big deal about it, and it's more for Royce than it is for me. It's more for you. It's dangerous. Remember when we came out of that one deal, I got attacked? Yeah, I mean, Professor Penn got attacked. And then here's you. What are you talking about after the CD5 yeah, convention? Yeah, we were walking up the stairs and oh, yeah. somebody set upon me. And you, 
you were going to go to that protest last week. I said, you got security? <laughs> no, are you crazy? It's not like you can hide in the crowd, right? right? So it, 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 there is a certain level of, and I get threatened regularly because I do, you know, I, I'm not afraid to say I'm Jewish, so I get a lot of anti-Semitic blowback on, on social media, which, you know, stuns me. But we're doing this work, so, you know, we're totally invested in this. You told me the young people have my back. Great, proceed. Mm-hmm. But we only have 20% of the people voting. So, yeah, we want you to hit the like button. We want you to leave a comment. But get involved. Tell your people to get involved. I Please. mean, we got to get out in the streets. There's one of our followers uh, and viewers, Susan. I don't want to use her last name. She's always saying, take to the streets. Susan, I agree with you. What What is this? I mean, the conservative movement has become uh, a, a movement of, of pacifism. And it's strange because, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stand up and cheer and clap for neocon Nikki Haley uh, talking about, you know, infinite military aid, infinite military engagement, involvement all around the world, especially with enemies like Russia, which is, could, you know, could be a fight too big to win by m- many measurements. I mean, the Ukrainian, the, let's just say it here and now, Ukraine's already lost that war. They've suffered a strategic defeat in that war with Russia. Now it's about the deal, right? When Zelensky says, if you can't give us cash, give us credit, we'll pay you back in cash. You know that, that, Sounds like a bad drug deal. Sounds, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a crack addict. But listen, um, <laughs> it's strange, you know, that Republicans stand up and cheer and clap for that. Uh, and and when we talk about being in, but as a as a movement, the conservative movement is very passive. You know, we have a we we've let the last six years, the biggest psyop over the last six years, in my opinion, is allowing Black Lives Matter to be the to have the monopoly on on civil disobedience and on uh, activism, on, on activism, and and you know, it, we we can talk about the election a little bit. And I said on my podcast, yeah, we know that the machines are a huge issue. I mean, that's just a given. You know, the, the, the machines are completely unsecured, and and then you can't even say Dominion without threat of being you know liable for for being sued, which is crazy in and of itself. A citizen can't question the manufacturer or or software designer or whatever of their voting machines. I mean, come on, that's already a level of tyranny that makes me want to spit on the floor. But then you have, uh, you know, the ballot harvesting issue. Okay, so that's an, and the immigrants, the illegal immigrants. That's another issue. But when you really get right down to it, the Democrats have made voting a matter of social status. A matter of social popularity, a cultural norm and rule. They've made it a cultural, a cultural made it. Uh, you know, they've given it cultural capital. But not only that. I mean, it's not only the Democrats, the domain. There are specific groups within the Democratic constituency that go to the polls to protect their democratic rights. Mm. And that is a powerful constituency. I don't know if they are. I, I, I'd say no. Are we talking about the same thing? Yeah, I think we are. Are we? But you, I, I, you go first. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that these people are actually, first of all, I'm not sure they've actually thought out their, their political position. 
I don't think they've really thought out their their worldviews on a number of these issues. Now, who are we talking about now? I'm talking about a specific constituency. You talking about women? I'm talking about women. I don't even know if they've thought it out. Because you can't at the same you can't simultaneously hold the two views that bodily autonomy is the sole source of your freedom and you're going to be pro-China centric future. And you can't say that Russia is going to export tyranny to America, hold a Ukraine flag up on your social media profile, say that the Russians, if not stopped, are going to export uh, tyranny to your country. I think you're making it but too the complicated. China, it's not complicated. The Chinese, if, if you're... I think if, it's one issue. No, wait, no, it's not one issue. No, no I they think, think for it's those one issue. Correct. That's what I said. They, they haven't sorted it out yet. Them to, fine. If, 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 saying, the China, if the Chinese, if, the chi, if we go to a China-centric future, they're exporting authoritarianism and you'll have no bodily autonomy. So if you vote Democrat, you may be voting for your right to kill your child in the short term, but in the long term, you're going to be losing a lot more than that when the Chinese take over. I agree with you. It's not thought out. I totally agree with you. And I think the challenge for the conservative movement is, and that's what we're doing on Free People, right? trying to make the conversation. And, you know, for the listeners and viewers, we get all this great feedback in the live chat that the conversation is informative. You know, Royce and I can talk like this over a bowl of soup and a cup of coffee anytime we want to. We're doing this publicly. We're not showing off. We're trying to create a ideational framework with the community yeah. so we can go out and talk to people as a community and actually convince people that there is a value to their citizenship and it's worth defending and preserving. That's what we're up to here. But I think this group is a one-issue it's group. a it's a one trick pony. Oh, they believe it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's a wrecking ball. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, even when I think about the abortion issue, I mean, I know it's been promoted well. I know it's marketed well. I know it's become the wedge issue that that the New York Times wants to say is the difference. But maybe that's a bullshit story. Maybe that's a justification for for rigging the elections. I mean, we have to think about all the possibilities now. The level of PSYOP is so great, it's hard to know what people actually believe in. I mean, we can look at some, you know, we can look at some um, dust-up rally for feminism and say, oh, here's the example that women want to kill their babies writ large. Or you could look at the numbers of abortion and go, okay, well, there's a, there's a, but the large, the, the, the broad number of women in the country, do they have abortions? No. It's, it's not the majority of people, you know, I mean, so it's... But if you ask a woman, It's a loud constituency what is what it women is. women will say, because I heard this at my own campfire, I would never have an abortion, but it's none of my business to comment upon what another woman chooses to do. Mm-hmm. There's a certain solidarity there. Yeah, yeah, and I get, I mean, it's easy to co-op people with those type of politics and, and you know, I'm pro-life. That's just what it is. If you're a Christian, you, you're pro. You should be pro-life. But you know, we got, we got, sh- we're on shaky ground with that, even in the church. So I mean, you know, it's it's no wonder that an issue like that could become so conflated uh, for for your average American citizen. But but my point is is this: even for your average woman, I'm not so sure that they're not just voting Democrat because they think they're supposed to has nothing to even do with the issues. Like, because imagine now, if you're, if you're an anarchist, if you're a leftist, a progressivist, you say the whole system's guilty, right? If, if 
a demonstration that that system is inadequate is you breaking the law in some form or fashion. Again, we're at a, a logical fallacy or a contradiction because even if abortion becomes outlawed, why not exercise your 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 um, your your rebellion against the guilty system by having an unlawful abortion? If that's really what you want to do, it'd be a symbol of your your uh, you know of your freedom fighting. But they don't really want it to be that, right? So there's there's a conflation in here somewhere that's that's really hard to pin down. And I kind of just think a lot of women, just like a lot of black folks although the numbers are changing. A lot of black folks just vote Democrat because they they've they think they're supposed to for the last 60 years. That's been the narrative. Well, Jewish people, Catholic people. Yeah. Does it even have anything to do with the policies? Do people even know what the policies are? Do people understand why Nikki Haley is so abhorrent? Do, do people even realize why the New York Times would publish an article this morning after that debate and have Ramaswamy the the loser the 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 unanimous loser of the debate from all the contributors and opinion writers from within the New York Times and Nikki Haley the front runner do people even realize that when the neoliberals aren't faking the funk with wokeism they love their neocons i don't think your average american citizen even really knows that we know the maga base knows right and then they get fenced as extremists but we know that the maga base is really a constituency of of um of more humble Humble, um, humble lives that that aren't educated, higher, you know, on average, aren't educated in in you know political science uh, pipeline institutions, and they just see common sense, and that's a big piece of what uh, what Donald Trump brought. That's why people can overlook the flaws because the common sense is is so um, is so potent. But but your average citizen. I mean, your everyday run of the mill, go nine to five. I get a cheeseburger on the way home. I get the newspaper or I read the headlines now on my phone or I go home and I watch MSNBC or maybe I don't even really watch MSNBC. I mean, maybe I'm not even watching. See, we all kind of think that, but the numbers reflect, if you want to talk statistics, the numbers reflect that nobody's really even watched out of 350 million people, 400 million people. How many people are watching CNN on a nightly basis? Oh, it's 100,000 people. 100,000 people. So they're not even watching the news. Now, how many people are watching John Oliver or Conan O'Brien? Maybe a couple million, something, right. something like that. But everybody's not even watching them. Fragmentation. The, the And this is why what, what Donald Trump said and what Vivek said last night about the mainstream media being the real problem in this country is so profound because it it comes it becomes clear, people aren't really voting for the policies. They haven't even thought the policies through. Well, that, you know that's what we're trying to do. That's why we're talking about it. And I do have to say, um, from a, back to the age thing. You know, I remember. You know, I'm different. When I was 30 years old, I loved watching political stuff. I mean, I was wa- watching political things when I was eight. Hmm. I mean, I'm unusual that way. Yeah. But I don't think young people as a general rule, like to watch a bunch of old people pontificating. Right? Keep going, yeah. Well, Fine, I mean, yeah. you know, so when we bring in younger voices now, then this podcast genre is allowing younger voices and different voices to actually affect the zeitgeist of the culture. But with 20% uh, participation, uh, we got a lot of room to grow. 
It's all upside. Well, it's the one beacon of hope, right? Right. That's, it is a beacon. Because if 90% of the people voted and that was the result, hey, that's, uh, you know, that's the result. That was my point to, to you to say is, you know, <clears throat> referring to the dread, you could look at that and say, uh, damn, only 20 people think that this is an important moment in history. Or you could look at it and go, there's another 80% out there that we could go get. Well, that's a very optimistic way to look at it. But we need everybody's help to get to help to get there. Yeah. And we we really do. You know, I was I was I met with a very intelligent uh, activist today, Craig. You know, Craig, great. Mm-hmm. We had a long conversation over coffee, and he's convinced that the he knows that the digital media works, but he's convinced that the real juice is peer-to-peer engagement at the personal level, not digital, analog. And he's committed to it, and he's just building a network of people in his area because what he's focused on is overturning the uni party. He wants to get rid of the, the GOP leadership in Minnesota. He, but he's very quiet about it. He doesn't want to fight with anybody. But I, I want to say as a, a party activist, this thing's just gone too far now. It's gone too far. Well, what, 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 say more. What do you mean? In Minnesota or just the country? Just generally. It's the just, RNC. The RNC has just gone way too far. I mean, they, they have no interest in incorporating or even listening to the next generation of activists that are coming up that hold different ideas or want to approach things in a new way. They're just completely uninterested in it. And they're doing everything they can to suppress diverse voices within the party the, the party is really an, an agency of um, control. It's not an agency of politics. And I think, you know, Vivek stood up there at the thing and he took on Ronald McDaniel, I mean, beautifully. I mean, he just said, step right up here and resign, please. Well, that's kind of a, an honesty we haven't heard here since about 1969. It was refreshing. Of course, she didn't come up and somebody reported that they heard her say in the audience, They'll never get a dime from the RNC. And that, there's a lot of that. Like, I don't think you can get a dime from the RNC. Of course not. Well, yeah, I'm well, calling for a resignation, too. Well, I am, too. Yeah. And as a matter of fact... I've been calling for it. I called for it when she, was, when she won. I said the next day she should resign. But, hey, I'm just... I'm, I'm crazy. So, well, here it, we are. Crazy is like having dread. True. You know? True. It has something to do with age. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But, but the uh, the uh, the party is uh, it's really uh, needs a it needs people to work outside of it. Well, what do you make of the what do you make of this? I mean, for the life of me, when I watched the first couple of debates, and even as I was watching early on yesterday, I couldn't imagine that we live in a time so constrained to a small number of people that actually have enough good information or even pay attention to enough of whatever information they have to have formed a, a decent, halfway decent opinion about the politics of the day. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine why people would even, would ever stand up and clap for Nikki Haley or, or the things that she's saying. And then I realized that the RNC had created this town hall sort of debate and invited a bunch of the RNC donors, right? And then I remember back to Donald Trump saying that's why he didn't want to do the debates. Everybody's thinking, you know, he's ducking the 
the debates or the topics. No, he just doesn't want to walk into some RNC uh, set up loaded deck. Yeah, why why be why why be set up? To create a false perception about the Republican base, because that can be weaponized. Oh, and wait used. a second! Why would he let his brand? Yeah, I feel that way about my. I'm not putting myself in league with Donald Trump. Please, nobody think I've lost it. But I have a brand here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and I really object to my passion and my following being co-opted for people that want to see Nikki Haley be president of the United States. And I, you know I've spent some time with Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't understand it either. I don't understand the... I don't understand why the... Well, I'm going to tell you a story. I went to a deal with a bunch of wealthy donors, which I'm not a wealthy donor. I don't even know why I was there. Sometimes I get invited to places. Maybe they just want to see Professor Penn there. You know, like a, like a circus animal. I don't know. But I went to the deal. They're vetting you. Whatever. Yeah, probably. Anyhow, I went to a deal, and it was Nikki Haley and Leah Pan- Leon Panetta, former director of the CIA, former congressman, and he's a big Democrat. And, you know, he's, and these two were up there as, like, point and counterpoint. But when you actually listen to them, they were frickin' frack. They were, uh, you know, Martin and Lewis. They were a, they were a machine gun team. And Panetta would set Haley up, and then they were trying to feature Haley in front of all these people. And she'd say the most, really to me, upsetting things, and then the whole room would just clap for her like a bunch of seals. And the, the, the point, I think, is, or what I, what I want to share with the viewers and listeners and share with you, you know, I haven't been a big winner here in the game. You know, if you're a materialist, if you're a, if you're a materialist, and I like, I have a nice suit on. I mean, I like material things. I got a nice car. But I am a spiritually committed human being. And, and I, I would like to say it's in the extreme, but that's only relative to this cohort of people. From where I grew up, hey, I wasn't that extreme. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but the these people won the game. The material game, they won it. We have friends like that. People, well, not, they're not your friends. They're my friends. I've introduced you to them. Mm-hmm. They won the game. And so for them, the suffering that I feel or the suffering that the community feels or the listeners and viewers, the, I call it dread or the anxiety of paying the bills or am I keeping my job or the inflation or I can't afford this or how am I going to send my kid to school? I can't say all those things that are the normal challenges. For the American citizen, they're not, they're liberated from that. And they're proud they're liberated. In other words, what they think, from my understanding, is if I was as smart as they were, I'd be just like them. So they don't want the kind of systemic change that I see as being important, which is, I'm going to say it, we don't have a spiritual life in America. We've lost our spiritual center. And that's the problem I see with Nikki Haley or Leon Panetta or most of these people. They're, they only talk about our military prowess, our military capabilities, the need to defend America, to defend the Democrat liberal order, the, the post-World War II, Dem- the rules-based order. They're always talking. 
I want to live in a country where we gain our stature from our moral clarity. And that might make me religious. But that's okay. I mean, I'm not hiding who I am. I don't think it's a sustainable polity if your strength comes from your ability to kill. I think your strength will come from your ability to be humble and to promote well-being in the people. And we've lost that. And then it's kind of an interesting thing, too, because there's a moment of pride for everybody. I mean, we talked about it. That Ohio-class submarine sailed into the eastern Mediterranean, and everybody settled down. Three aircraft carriers and A. Everybody except Israel. Well, that's because they were there to deter anybody else from letting Israel go about its business. Yeah. And the uh, Ayatollah, you know, because I watch Iranian television. Okay, I'm sorry. He actually went on and said, if America was not supporting Israel, Israel would be gone in a week. Great. So what's he doing? And this is, you know, when you really get, (laughs) that's horrifying. Well, he also said that when they say death to America, this was an exact quote, certain things stick with Professor Penn. Death to America is not a slogan. It's our policy. So the yin and yang of this is, although I'm very not interested in empire, I don't want to defend the British Empire and be manipulated by the Europeans, which I think we are. I'm not opposed to us being very strong and having borders. Because what is a border? A border is a set of rules. Like, thou shalt not kill. Boundaries. Boundaries. Our borders are porous because we as a people are porous. Mm. At the individual basis, on an individual basis. How can we expect our country to have borders when we're borderless and boundaryless by ourselves? When your government steals, everybody steals. And vice versa. Because we are the government. That's right. Even in China. You know, this is another thing. They have a totalitarian government. Yes, they do. There's a billion and a half Chinese. And when they want to bring the Maoist dynasty to an end, it's going to end. Where the scam of totality? Yeah, but they got that hive mind thing working. No, but what I'm trying to say is this scam that we tell ourselves that there's tyranny, and you know we're the tyranny, because if you want to bring the tyranny to an end, it comes to an end. Mm. Yes, we can. The United States Constitution is way, way more freedom based than any other uh, nation in the world. No, I'm saying as our country descends into tyranny. Right. We're tolerating it as the people. Oh, no doubt. 20% yeah. of the people actually showed up to vote. Yeah. I mean, 80% are saying, hey, it must be good enough. I don't even care. So they're just accepting. Yes. The material high is so good. Right. That's what They I'm don't saying. even care what happens. They don't care. And they're just, we're just being slow walked into. Psychological subversion. We're being. Communism. Sl- Yuri Benzimov. It's just terrible. It's so depressing for me because I know where this heads. Because I have the memory, I'm, you know, the older people, the reason this is happening is because the older people are dying off. You know, th- it couldn't happen if we had a, a big cohort of population of people that said, hey, we're heading into tyranny, they would be at the polls. But the people are dying off that have the memory of genocide and they're just dying off. World so, War. World War, to, you know, like my grandfather. I mean, I, I loved my grandfather. 
His name was Theodore. He was named off after our pre- He was an immigrant, so they named him after Teddy Roosevelt. Okay, his name was Teddy. Called himself Teddy Bear. Worked his ass off. Got his first job when he was seven years old because he had to eat. Lived through the Depression. Mm. I'll tell you a funny story. This is hilarious. I bought my first house in 1981. The conditions were somewhat similar to today in some respects. Uh, 1981, that's when Reagan was rolled in. He was trying to repair the damage that Nixon had let loose on our country by decoupling the dollar from gold. Inflation was terrible. My first loan on my first house, the, the interest rate, 18%. So my grandfather came over to my house. I was very young. I was very proud I had a house. My grandfather sitting at my table. He looked at me and said, what did you pay for this house? I said, 83000 He said, David, you're only 19 years old. I am so impressed with you that you saved $83,000 so quickly in your life. That's so, well, Gramps, I, I didn't save 83000 I put fifteen grand down and I put the rest on a loan. He didn't say a word to me. He stood up, turned his back on me, walked out of the house, and never came back. <laughs> it was an insomnia. You know. What? What was? Borrowing money to buy a house. In his generation, you didn't do that because there could be a calamity and you could lose everything. You can't pay for it, don't buy it. You had a false sense of security in the, in the system. He didn't want to participate in that system. He knew it was a scam. He used to say, people used to say, stock market. He used to use a Yiddish word, genovum. Genovum. What does that mean? Thieves. Because he, he lived through that depression. He remembered that depression. He had a black box on the dining room table. And it was a little mechanical thing. You'd put a quarter on there, and a little green hand would come out and grab the quarter. And then it would say, tax man. He just had that orientation that it was a scam. He knew it was a scam. He'd lived through it, so he didn't participate in it. Mm. He's dead. And all the people that lived through that are dead. So how much is on the credit cards of all the listeners and viewers? They could Cut your credit cards up. Not only are they sadly up to debt slavery, but that's the gateway of that convenience into a digital prison. Yeah, but most people are. Well, the, the real crime is you can use financial pressure to make it almost impossible to live when the, when the, country's be, when the society is so modern. When you've modernized the society to such a level where it's almost impossible to live, but check to check, credit card to credit card, consolidating this credit card, putting it on a new one, I mean, there are people who wouldn't eat if they didn't. If they didn't, they didn't. Um, they didn't do it that way, and that's the real. That's the real crime here. That's the real crime that's taking place with our financial and political elites because they know it's. They know it's like that, and they act as though there's no remedy. Like, hey, you know, th- this is just. The, this is just the inflation way it is. Inflation just happens. Yeah. No, inflation is government policy. It's it's a policy of the people that we elect. We still have elections. Now, there are people that we know that say the elections are not straight. But, you know, if there was an 80% or a 70% agreement, you know, 80% of the people, they, you think in that 80% that didn't vote, some people are consolidating their credit cards? For sure. Worrying about eating tomorrow? Most of them. Why don't they vote? 
They have so much power. They're demoralized. They don't think their voting matters. That's a very interesting word, demoralized. I think we need to unpack that word because they are demoralized. Mm -hmm. As in, they are demoralized. They have no morals. They have no <laughs> right. They have no boundaries. That's not what I meant by it, but that's a useful application as well. Well, if you're demoralized, then you've given I meant up. Their morale, yeah, their they've morale, given yeah. up. Their morale is gone because you know I, I told you. But this. the high is still good. It's like a it's like a chicken running around with its head cut off. Really, what I see it as. You mean their addiction to sin is so profoundly satisfying that they're going to go until the blood comes out of the chicken and then they're going to fall over. Yeah. Life and faith are related. They just are. I mean, it, it, the greatest scam to me is the things that make people the healthiest, no matter how long they live, which is not in my control or your control, yeah. the things that make people the healthiest, the, the, the best inside themselves, are obscured. I, I told you this, I have to tell it, share it with the audience. There's a movie called Lansky with Joe Pesci. We both like Joe Pesci. And there's a clip running around on the internet right now where he's in the car and he goes, if you lose money, it doesn't mean anything. And I related to that because it's been a tough year for me. And he goes, if you lose your health, that means something. But if you lose your character, you've lost everything. Mm. And we've just gotten away from that socially. That's the, sac the idea of sacred honor. Well, to have sacred honor, you have to believe in something. Absolutely. And that goes right into that issue about savages and decadence. The savage, hey, those Israelis and those Hamas players, they're pretty savage. There's something they're willing to die for. How many American citizens have something about America they're willing to put it all on the line for? Not enough, or we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. Well, even in the 20% that voted, we got a small cohort. That are actually willing to die for something. Well, right. To and, become WWE. And the, and the, and the, and the, it's the line for me. I don't know what it is for you. For me, it's that line. Rights granted to me by a creator. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That moves me so deeply that the founding document of my country establishes that are my rights are given to me by a creator. That is such a motivating idea. And I don't know why it doesn't motivate everybody else to defend that. And now we see all of the leftist policies are really aimed at invalidating the creator. If you really look at the policies one by one, they're taking out the fundamentals of the religious culture. That's what's being done. Now, life's not ending. We're just going into the new world order that does not have faith or a creator within it, at least in their minds. And those people probably think there isn't a God. It's hard to say. It is hard to say. It, <laughs> it is hard to say. Because we, 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 we're not those people, and I don't, Hang around with any of those people. I, I, I wouldn't venture to guess what these people really believe. I think they're just nihilists. But uh, to go back to something you said about the Ayatollah, and this is where my mind goes right away. I start to think to myself, 
who's putting him up to it? I had this weird vision in my head. I said, the, you know, a couple of weeks, when this whole thing first popped off, everybody said, oh, the Muslims are coming, the Muslims are coming. Well, they may be coming. Might be true. They're here. But they may be coming in the sense that they're going to rise up in a coordinated rebellion against the West. That's what I mean. They're everywhere. 1.4 billion Muslims in the world. There's a lot of them. They're everywhere. They're more in Indonesia than there are in Iran, but that's not the point. My point is, the story, the narrative is they're coming, you know, like the French are coming. And from the beginning, I told people if they were going to bust a move, as we would say in the neighborhood, if they were going to bust a move, they would have bust a move already. And they didn't really bust a move. I mean, even what Hamas did was terrible. It was atrocious. It was evil. But it wasn't the move that was promoted. <laughs> it wasn't the move that's been the justification for military industrial complex for the American taxpayer and for the better part of the modern Western world for the last, I don't know, 40 years, 30 years at least. Uh, so they didn't really bust a move. And my read of the situation is they didn't bust a move because they're not as aligned ideologically as we in the West would like to assume they are. They have a loose, it's just like gangs, you know, like, like let's take um, gangster disciples. Famous gang, black gang, originated in Chicago. Larry Hoover, Kanye West went on a, a, a on a tour to try and you know yield to some uh, garner some support to free Larry Hoover, who's still locked up over you know a number of life sentences. They won't let him out. He's a very old man now. Um, but anyway, he started a gang that just got so much momentum behind it. It went nationwide, and you can go anywhere in the country. You can go anywhere in the world. Similar to like the Hell's Angels, although the Hell's Angels are are an international motorcycle club. You what? But it had that type of popularity, right? They're all across the country. If you think the gangster disciples that live in New York City have some broad coordination with the gangster disciples that live in Minneapolis, you're an imbecile. You're you're dumb. You're actually stupid, <laughs> right? Now, am I saying that the Muslim Brotherhood doesn't have better coordination uh, in in a, in an ideological sense because they have a faith? practice that they're tied or bound by of course they probably have a little bit better coordination they have a little bit better collaboration in terms of international um international agenda uh because of of that faith tie um but where does the human condition come in and the human condition will most often trump people's faith ties we see that here in the west I mean, our faith, the 501c3 Protestants and all of the woke Catholics can say what they want about this being a Christian nation, and they like to sing rah-rah about the cross and Christianity when it comes time to talk about other faiths or when it comes time to talk about the LGBTQ, which as a Christian I totally understand. But the reality is, is that we as Christians have failed to uphold Christian values in this country. So why would we think that the Muslims are having any better of a time in upholding Islamic faith in their part of the world? And the, the Islamic Arab Muslim leaders <clears throat> have always showed a willingness to deal under the table with the West, mostly the CIA. And so when I hear Ayatollah, go out there, you're our mortal enemy. Your best possible chance to, um, to catch us by surprise, you could say, would be to get our guard down and think that you want to acclimate to the new world order. And, and then catch us by surprise. But instead, you 
You go right out on Iranian television, which any number of CIA translators can can decode and say. Um, you didn't have to decode it. They translated it for you. Oh, in Iranian TV. Yeah. Okay. Even better. They were even better. Yeah. It was okay. Great. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, I start to think of it and go, "Is this motherfucker in on it? Is this guy going out and serving as the boogeyman to justify military? Is this motherfucker working for the CIA?" Our number of the, you know, we have this, you know, we we have this sort of John Woo cinematic romanticism with good guys and bad guys. And it's always made it hard for the American people to understand just how sophisticated some of these conspiracies, not theories, but conspiracies can actually be. It was the Mujahideen or Hamas. They, they got Putin, I mean, not Putin, but, uh, uh, sorry, Bibi. Netanyahu. They got Bibi right there on his voice saying. Saddam Hussein. No. We no, need I'm to s- breathe life into Hamas. Saddam Hussein, Saddam was, a Hussein. Cra- was a creation Gaddafi. of the CIA. Gaddafi. You know, uh, the, the whole thing. So, and, and, and you get to that level and people go, uh, you know, the Joe Rogans of the world, God bless him. He stood in the breach. You know, me and him, Ivermectin brothers for sure. Um, God bless him. He's done a lot for the, for the, for the entire world, let alone the, the country. But he's one of these guys who goes, do you think they're really that coordinated? Uh, actually, I don't think they need to be that coordinated to pull it off. You get eight guys who have consolidated power, who have, uh, you know, sort of coalesced power base there in their, in their respective region, country, community, whatever it is, you know, whether it's the Kurds or the Mullah, it doesn't matter. And, and you get them on board, you pay them off. Yeah, they have the same ability to coordinate that we're seeing widespread through the mainstream media. Why do we think it's any different with the terrorists? That they can't be paid off because we've been taught to believe their faith, their ideological center is so profound, that's what they're fighting for. Lately, I've been having this dream, this crazy dream, that the Ayatollah is going out there and, and, and singing the rah-rah about, about Islam, and he goes home at night, and he's got some white woman tied up, you know, shackled to his bed, you know, in his in his in his in his it's good to be in his king. very posh, good to be king, you know, modern style, yeah. you know, house. Uh, and he takes his turban off, and he turns, he sits down, and he turns on like Johnny Carson or or you know reruns or some shit, you know, like this totally westernized. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I got this sick kind of it's parody kinda like, humor. Kind of like my dread again. Here we go again. <laughs> it's not dreadful. It actually makes that makes better sense. I know, but it it's probably culture bound and age bound. Yeah, it's funny to me because I, 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 again, why would the Iranians go out and say death to America? If, if America wasn't supporting Israel, we would be, who, 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 how do they benefit from that? Are they sending a message to the other Arabs and Muslims in the grassroots? Are, are they doing it? Let's talk through it. We got time here. Let's talk. What are they doing? How does it benefit them? This is what I want to teach the American people to think about. You got to go back. Are they are they sending a message to the other Arabs and Muslims to rally against the Saudi hegemony in the region and America's do, uh, alliance with the Saudis to say, if if it wasn't for we're getting bullied, if if it wasn't for America, we would go on Israel. Is that what they're trying to you say? You know, I think uh, this is a really interesting. Um, I can only say what I I believe. I don't you know. I'm, I'm not in his head. We're speculating, right? We're speculating, but you know that. I think there's two issues here that are critical. One is the holy sites of Islam, 
Mecca and Medina that are in the hands of the Wahhabi Saudi regime mm-hmm. was not always that way. They drove out the Hashemites with the help of the British. And I think that the Iranians truly covet controlling those sites. I mean, just based on my own research and what I've heard over the years, I don't think they believe, much like Osama bin Laden, did not believe that the House of Saud was... Legitimate. Islamic. To have the holy sites in their control, because that gives them the legitimacy within the Arab world, within the Muslim world. Okay, I, I, I got that. I know the whole story. I, I, got, I got the story. I know the narrative. I know the neocon. But you got to put the British in there next. I know the neocon narrative. That's the neocon narrative, to be honest. And, and I get it. And I'm, I'm not saying that, in, that there's no validity to it. How is that the neocon narrative? The neocon narrative is that the Saudis and the Iranians don't like each other, and the Iranians want Mecca and Medina, and their whole, their, whole, their whole deal is based on faith. What I'm telling you is I'm having premonitions that the Ayatollah is, a, is an asset. Because when I, you want to Did I go say to, anything about faith? No, no, no. I'm talking. No, faith. I mean the neocons. Okay. That's what the Nikki Haley's and these guys are saying. We have to be ready to defend the empire at all times because these people's belief is so radical and so extreme and so committed that they will never stop. But they just fucking stopped. If we if 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 we really want to control this, this is what I'm saying. If we really just wanted to control the Iranians, why not leave the the Ford in the Mediterranean in perpetuity? If we want, if, that could be the plan. Sounds like we need a few more aircraft but no, but, carriers. But 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 do you really think that we needed Hamas to attack Israel to know that that the that the battle cruiser being there in the Mediterranean had that type of deterrent effect? No, no, we didn't. But for the Congress to come to their constituents and say, hey, I watch one of my favorite assholes, General Jack Keane. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. General Jack, he's got the beautiful blue eyes. You know, I they had a preacher I like one time. He said, if you have nothing good to say about someone, I like to say, sure had beautiful blue eyes. This guy is an asshole. And he is the best salesman. In the military? Was, oh, I was watching him on Fox. He goes, you know, Historically, in times of war, our budget was really twice what it is now for military members. He would like to double military expenditures from, you know, two to three trillion to four to six trillion because then we could leave aircraft carriers all over everywhere. We could stick one right off of Antarctica. I mean, this is. That's what Tim Scott said last night. Please proceed. Well, I mean, Tim Scott said. We have to be ready to go to full-scale war on three continents at the same time. I didn't know Tim worked for the military. Tim Scott. Is he ex-military? And, and when I said that we should leave the battle cruiser in the Mediterranean, my policy is America first, non-interventionist foreign policy. We don't need to be in the Mediterranean. We need to be off our own coast and securing our own border first, number one. We also need to be looking at Canada because I don't trust a man who runs and jogs the way that Justin Trudeau runs and jogs. You know, like the Joker said in the Batman, the late Heath Ledger, I know the squealers and he'll squeal. Right? <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So, but, but my point is that's the <laughs> narrative they're driving. The narrative is that the Iranians are so unpredictable that, that we always need to be ready to go to war. And it's just like, 
I just don't buy it. Well, it's a yin-yang. I mean, there is certainly an element of fundamentalism, and there's an element of New World Order at play in everybody. So the Saudis, so, so, the, so the Iranians don't like the Saudis, you know, they don't think that the Saudis are Muslim enough and Shiite and Sunni. Well, I think it's very tribal. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's tribal. Yeah, I don't buy it. It's tribal. I'm just not buying it. I think money has superseded tribalism. I think all of these people are on the payroll. And if there's any evidence of that, just look at the BRICS alliance. You know, if you really have, you know, if, if I really have a profound, deep, faith-driven disagreement with my neighbor clan about something as serious as God, Am I going to get in an international economic alliance with them? That give me a break is the reason we have the post World War II Democrat liberal order. That's the whole theory. You just lay the whole theory out through economic ties. All of these tribal problems Go will away. be eliminated. Oh, they're going away. I didn't know in you, the wrong direction. I didn't know you were such a strong supporter <laughs> of the. No, I'm saying it's a scam. I, I don't agree with it. Well, uh, wait, let me, let me see if I understand. You're okay. saying it's a scam that, you're saying that the tribal divisions have been eliminated? Yeah. <coughs> yeah, the tribal divisions have most, for the most part. But this this whole deal right here, in my opinion, I said on my podcast the other day, this is just them, to, this is just the, Palestine is a, the, the conflict there between Palestine and Israel, the Palestinians, that whole Arab street, kind of geopolitical narrative is a relic of a time past. It's obsolete now. The Arabs, the Arabs. Well, certainly, certainly that's the point of the New World Order and the post-World War II Democrat liberal order. We're going to make these unsolvable problems go away through economic integration. And they're still, they're still, you know, we're, 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 um, we don't need the Palestinians anymore. Well, then we don't need the Iranians either, do we? Absolutely. And next, soon to be who next? Who'd you have in mind? The Christians. Oh, well, of course. Then now we're getting down to the last of Mohicans. Yeah. We don't need faith anymore. Yes. And the, I, You heard me say that the Pashtuns and the Republicans are the same people. The outer God of the New World Order. I said that. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've said, I said on my own podcast, People can go watch it. It um, was the I don't know seventy two. Am I crazy? Just for you know, out there. Uh, the in, Hamas. In the Am I crazy? The Hamas and the Jewish people are cousins. It's a uni party. It really is. I mean, when it gets down to it, when they start hunting down the last people of faith to kill them off, and I, it's a very simple reason why, beyond the submission to a higher power, to a God. If you're submitted in your heart, if you're submitted truly to God, you don't need to be governed. You're self-governing. You must eliminate that to create dependency. That's just really all there is to it. These, you know, now, are there other theological aspects that are related to Satanism or Luciferianism? I believe there are. For sure. But at the governance level, at the level of, let's say, Governor Tim Waltz here in Minnesota, the effort of our government to make every single Minnesotan 
dependent on Minnesota government requires the diminution of faith. Because the faith people are just going to say, forget it. We don't, we're not interested in your rule. Yeah, but not only do not only do they take away faith through a cultural decadence, they also start to overregulate your ability to just move about freely. That's why I always say to start the podcast, they want to take away your freedom of movement because it's it's actually a rejection of nature. They talk about being pro climate, they talk about being pro earth, being pro nature. They're all conservationists, right? Uh, you know, we, we got to save the trees and the baby turtles from the plastic straws but they don't want you to be able to go and live off the land. So they're going to make it harder and harder for you to live off the land. It's bad for the earth. Well, and then they're going to poison every, every nook and cranny of, 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 of you know, arable land from here to, to Maine and, and back, back again. And there's another part that I hear when I hear you say that, freedom of movement. That also goes into freedom of emotional movement. Mm. And that's freedom of will. That's, that's God's gift to me, free will. Mm freedom of movement, the freedom of my will. That's the thing they fear the most. And so to take the to go back to the Iranians cuz this is a this is a knot for me. And it's again, the Iranians get down with the Saudis and the BRIC alliance. Uh but but they're mortal enemies. You know, this 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 is a deep <laughs> we're going down a deep rabbit hole. Then let's always remember there's two sides to every equation, but we're getting down to why is there a BRICS? What unites? What is the unifying factor of all the BRICS participants? They were all colonized. They were all colonized. I was reading a thing on the last Professor Penn podcast, uh, Winston Churchill. I, you know, I can't remember it, but it, to paraphrase it, he said, "Just I just because a dog because he was ta- he's alleged to have been talking about the Palestinians." And I'm just saying this because it, it brings forth the ethos of the British intellectual movement, the Darwinist movement. He said something like, um, and you can look it up. I'm so sorry I can't remember it exactly. But he said something like, I do not believe that a dog that lays in a manger, even if it's for a very long time, has a right to that manger. Speaking of Bethlehem, I do not believe that it was a wrong what happened to the Red Indians of America and the Black Aborigines of Australia? Because a better race, a more worldly wise race, replaced them. Mm-hmm. And you know that's superstition. But they, man, they convinced themselves that they were Darwin. Well, look what happened to them. They had kind of a forty-year throwdown with the Germans about who was the most Darwinist in the in the bag, and both countries got wrecked. Just ra- Europe was wrecked by that Darwinist Both throwdown. World War started in Europe. Yeah, well, you know, let's just call it one World War. Yeah, I mean, World War One, World War Two, World War Three. We're fighting the same war. It's the same. Look war. where we're fighting. Hundred Year War. We're fighting in the places that I mean, Taiwan. Taiwan is an island that is populated by Chinese who ran out of China when Mao got control of the country. But it's a symbol of Western colonialism to the Chinese. Hong Kong was a symbol of Western colonialism, and they've taken back Hong Kong now. Shanghai. Well, Shanghai is, you know, this I can say from some things we read in books, some things I've lived it. Mm -hmm. The Shanghainese 
and the Beijing knees hate each other. Because the Shanghai knees are the globalists. They're the ones that had the, the money connection with the outside world, those in the, and the Hong Kong knees. And the Chinese hate these people. They hate them. They hate the Hong Kong. And they hate the Taiwanese people because these are the people that get the support of the colonialists. They so, view them as traitors. Well, they view them... Pretentious. Sellouts. Sellouts. They're sellouts. Yeah. They're like the... Uh, Black bourgeoisie. The anti-Jews. The anti-Jews. Right. They're anti-Chinese. Mm-hmm. They, they have taken on the trappings and the worldview of the colonizer. And... Uh, which, you know, is a, which is a scary thing because you have a, a globalist cohort of people from many nations and creeds, right? There's a, there's a, there is a global cohort of globalists, of globalists, right? Yes. <laughs> but, but in each nation, you also have people who are ide- See, the, the, the conventional wisdom is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But in this Mexican standoff, that ain't true because you got globalists from every nation but then the actual nationalists, like at, here with China and America, are fundamentally ideologically uh, opposed as well, because their their nationalism comes from an ethno-national, secular, very you know anti-religious sort of authoritarian base. If the United States of America, ours is different. If the United States of America had not taken the place, you know, this is a, an untold story. You know, the United States was very involved in China in World War II. There's a very famous air wing, the Chenault Flying Tigers. The Chinese got tremendous support from the United States against the Japanese. There was a great love between the countries. America and China. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the United States bled to fight the Japanese in China. And there had been, I don't know, a couple hundred years of really intense anti-Chinese sentiment in this country, you know, like the know-nothings. We don't want the Catholics. We don't want the Jews. We don't want the Chinese. The, that Protestant group, they were from that Darwinist background, but Darwinist, Calvinist background. So there was already antagonism between the Americans and the Chinese. But generally in World War II, there wasn't antagonism. And, I, you know, I've been to China many times. I watched it turn antagonism to antagonism. I was there where there was like one, there was a moment where the two cultures were actually merging with, you know, now we were getting scammed. But so were some of the Chinese. I mean, there was Chinese that believed in it. There are still Chinese today that are not down with this ethno-nationalist confrontation. They, so this whole thing kind of wraps in on itself, mm-hmm. going back to what you said. Mm-hmm. If we get the money going just right, all these problems disappear. Get everybody on the payroll. Well, they are all on the payroll. But the, the dangerous thing is that the, the, the dangerous thing, the most dangerous thing to new world order, to one world, the ambition of one world government, I don't care whether it's to save the planet, whether it's to fight off the, the threat of advanced technology from extraterrestrials, whether it's to fight the scares of, of a scourge of pandemics and viruses, or, you know, avert nuclear war. I don't care what the story is. The real danger to one world government is American freedom. Chinese freedom, Chinese constitution poses no threat to one world government or new world order. It's, a, it's amenable. 
It's 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 simpatico with with the way that the it's Chinese the blueprint. It's the blueprint. It's the blueprint. Yeah, America, and that and that is why in the in the playground of everybody being on the pay, payroll, America obviously continues to suffer the most the most damage, the most structural damage, the most uh, you know uh, ubiquitous defeats. Whether we're neocon Nikki Haley in our way through the Middle East again, or or you know, with Zelensky there in, in, in Ukraine or, or wherever we're doing it, we always end up on the short end of the stick in this globalist model, in this globalist. When you say we. Yeah, we the American people. The regular, everyday working people. Yeah, well, I mean. Not yeah. our elites, our well, elites are doing great with this deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. 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 They're, they're suffering a death by a thousand cuts. They're, they're, they're cucks. You know, they're willing to be cucks yeah. as long as the price is right. Yeah, I mean, but you know, do you have, have you have you ever met a cuck? You know what happens to cucks in the end, usually, right? That's the Nikki Haley story. Yeah. Our neocons believe that they need to repair the relationship with China. They talk about the saber rat. I think as we're sitting here. I think Biden and G are toasting champagne in San Francisco. Yeah, probably got a $40,000 check that he's passing to him, too. What a cheap whore. I mean, you know, when the president, when you're, when you're president, I mean, look, I told you, was I telling you this the other day? The word my grandfather used was Gnovum. He used to apply it to Wall Street and to politicians. You, did, did, were we talking about this the other day? What, the $40,000 check? That, that no, was, and that wasn't me. No, it, I think they authenticated a forty thousand dollar check that made its way. I to, thought it was two hundred thousand. Well, one of the might have been, might have been a string of checks, but with this one check, I, I was reading or I saw had been authenticated, or at least they thought it was authenticated in a in a chain of custody into the Biden organization and made its way to Biden. And uh, and it's it just it's funny. The first thing I thought of is, man, that's cheap. That's 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 a low. That's What's a, that line from The Godfather? He goes, "He's a pimp." It was always Barzini. <laughs> He's a pimp. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's just a just a hustler. Yeah, that's a cheap price. I mean, you're you're a cheap whore. At least you know five hundred million. You know, when you're dealing with a country that's got almost infinite money and they can just give it to you at ad nauseum, you think you ask for a better price to betray your country? You know, if they start digging around in there and lifting up the carpet, we really don't know what they're going to find. True. He might be a lot more sophisticated. He's always looked to me. True, but no, if you, I mean, no, I don't think so. I think he's a cuck. I think Joe Biden is the paragon of what has happened to the Western white male and some many black males as well in this sort of cucked out culture that we have, right? And I said, it's not, the money's not even for him. It's for Jill. You know, he can barely keep his, his bearings about him. I thought the day. it was for Hunter. No, no, Hunter's, Hunter's just doing the deal. Hunters. So you think he collected all that money for Jill? Yeah. Well, then Jill what do be- most men? What do most men collect their money for in a, in America in our cut culture? That's a very good point, and rather embarrassing. I do not have that problem, but I will say I know many men that tell me they would vote Republican, but they're not going to get any more sex if they do so, so they vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty gross, isn't it? Isn't that sad? Well, I mean, you know, you know, you know, Mama Jill, uh, you know, made the call, got Crackhead Hunter on the phone, you got, you know, Sleepy Joe, you the whole gang, right? That's really? the, the, like yeah. the Roundup gang. But listen, for Jill, huh? yeah, oh, Jill, you know, Jill needs a new gazebo in their Pennsylvania, uh, you know, in their Pennsylvania Labode, right? You know, their 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 uh, overpriced Pennsylvania Lake House, right? She needs a new gazebo. 
40 grand, 40 G's to sell the country out to, to Teddy, Teddy Beijing. Call you know, the Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I mean, this thing is like a, like a caricature. The, the caricature of it is so crazy. I can't believe that these people are actually orchestrating it. I saw this thing. I don't know if it's true. But Amy Klobuchar, I looked up her net worth. It was $65 million. Good eating. If that's possible, I can't trust it. I don't know if it's true. But it's out there. Everybody can go online, pop it in there, and she's going to come out $65 million. Tom Emmer, it said that he went to Congress in uh, 2018. He was worth $175,000. We're at $12 million now. Hey, that's pretty good. I'm, I mean, if this is what it is, if this is what it is. Money, money negates tribe. Well, it certainly negates principles. <laughs> the hell's wrong with you and me? Okay. They know something we, we don't we, know. We can't. We can't sell out. What? Yeah, but you know the thing. No, but the thing. It's a very simple concept. It goes back to my podcast where I was on with uh, Patrick Bet David, and I was explaining to the his his, his younger co-host. Um, I think his name is Josh. I want to say I don't. I don't know what his name PBD is. PBD podcast. Yeah, the PBD podcast. The guy who. The, the, the Jewish kid who does it with him. I actually know him. I think he's good friends with Chris Humphreys. Uh, you know, so he, he's, he's a familiar, right? I mean, I, I, I know him, same circles. And he's a good dude. I, I don't even dislike him. I think he's a good dude. He's a good-hearted dude. But his political worldview is so warped. It's, it's crazy. And it's, it's um, completely, completely driven by a lack of faith in God. And, and you can just... It's like that long-haired dude on Tim Pool. He's another one like Ian. that. Ian. Ian from Tim Pool. Oh, that guy's terrifying. You even said to him, I like you. That's, you're getting ready to tear his head off. No, I actually like Ian. I actually genuinely liked Ian. That's very liberal of you. No, I'm serious. I, I mean, and I know a lot of these people because I come from that cultural Democrat community where these people don't, they don't really understand the pitfalls of not having faith like that. They just see the whole thing of religion as a scam. And in many ways, they're right, because religion at many times has been a scam perpetrated by any given number of people who want to take the Lord's name in vain. Like I said on Tim Pool, that's an indictment of man. It's not an indictment of God. And if you can't understand that, you have a very small, small perspective on being human or, or existence itself. It's just kind of a basic math equation. If I go take the Lord's name in vain, do something in his name, does that reflect on God? You know their, I, their take is that God should strike you down right away, but that 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 negates free will. So this whole thing is a Gordian knot. Wait, wait I, I, have an, I have a thought. But wait, what I was going to say about Tim was, okay, Tim and and that, not Tim. Tim is a good dude. He's, he's a smart dude. But the Ian guy from BPD, BPD, Patrick Bed Davis podcast is, um, their worldview is so bankrupt of, of, a, of a God, right, of, of faith. So when you say a thing like, yeah, you can lie and win the day, but Christians believe that who tells the truth is going to win out over the iterations of an eternal, an eternal existence. They just check out. So if you, if you live a one life worldview, if you only have one life, then there's no manner of perversion that's off limits to you. You know, the Chinese, just as a sidebar, before I get back to my creative thought, mm -hmm. the Chinese as a sidebar, this is interesting about the cultures. You just talked about a fundamental in our Western culture, our Judeo-Christian culture. We have a judgment. We are seeking to tell the truth. That's why we say we're truth-seeking media. 
the Chinese, their highest fundamental, the, you know, the, the one who expressed their, the best liar. Really? The best liar is the most respected person. The person who is most able to command and control human resources through manipulation is the top dog. And in our culture, that'd be the top asshole. So this is how different these cultures are constructed fundamentally. But I, I wanted to say, I just had a thought, and I don't know if it's, I mean, obviously it's just a metaphor or just a trying to, if 20% of the people voted, mm-hmm. and it was split roughly 50-50, I mean, they, you know, the Democrats, but it's 50-50, that means there's 10 million people voted conservative. Does that mean that all the rest of the people in the country don't believe in God? I think it does. I think if you believe in God and you care about your faith in God and God's hegemony. No, no, that doesn't mean that. They have a warped, perverted, Protestant, drive-through relationship with their faith. And they think that that religion or or faith supersedes politics. It's, it's, It's right there. They're not even hiding that. I mean, they're really, they're flipping about it. What, that they don't need to be involved in politics because Absol- they have faith? Absolutely. Yeah, I never really understood that. Oh, I oh, I could, yeah. No, I can't understand, and I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Because these three religions are political parties, okay? <laughs> yeah. We are an evangelical political movement. Right. Right? I was talking to Craig What today. is spreading the gospel if it's not politics? Well, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> I, I thought. Well, oh, no, we separate church and state. What a scam. Yeah. What a scam. But the entire... the entire pro- You take out the fundamental piece yeah. that makes the politics work. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the friction, a lot of the unspoken friction that existed between me and Jason on the show and just me and the fearless audience, some of the fearless audience, some of them understand my, my brand of, uh, of smash mouth uh, realism. But, but some people had, you know, you, you, could, you could feel that, that animus if you read enough comments that there was some underlying... Tension. You swear, Royce. Well, you yeah. swear. Yes. I, Profanity. You can't swear and be a Christian simultaneously. <laughs> but I, you can vote for Nikki Haley to run a genocide oh, bracket. <laughs> Fuck you people. You people can lick my bunghole, I, motherfuckers. I, 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 you know, I want to just say this. <laughs> I'm trying not to swear on the Professor Penn podcast because I don't want to alienate any of the audience. But I want to clarify this. There is in Deuteronomy 20, there is the Ten Commandments are there, and there is a commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. What does that mean? I swear to God that I did X, Y, and Z. In other words, people lying one to another, wrapping themselves in the cloth of faith, in, the cloth, in God, using God's name. God does not like that. God is not a hammer in your toolbox that you pull out to nail, to, you know, hammer a nail. That's just, you know, really a bad one. You know, I got down on, uh, I'm going to say this again. I have to say it. Jason, pissed at him because we're close, and I know your intention. I know there's still people in the fearless audience watching this show. Some of them are going back and forth, and I want to say I watched this. Jason coming out, question, you know, saying that you were this and that. I was just basically, I mean, I know you. He was lying about who you were to throw shade on you to explain to his audience why he took you off the show. You're a BLM plant. You're a leftist. Mm -hmm. I mean, this stuff is laughable. So this is that kind of 
tension. And I said previously, hey, I'm not a judge. Come back. Apologize. Please. We want you back. We want a movement. We don't want these kind of scares. We argue sometimes and don't talk for a few days. We do it cool. We don't do it like that public. Like, like gentlemen. Right. Let's just, I'm just going to say we argue. That's part of being men. I don't really think we ever argue, but hey, that's a good story. But listen, <laughs> um, <laughs> what else? No, going? I want to finish this. Did ahead, Jason needs to hear from Professor Penn. We want him. I want him. And I see you doing it in your podcast. You're still giving him love and blessings. We don't want it like this. But I don't want anybody to think you're a BLM leftist plant on Fearless. That is preposterous. Yeah, I'm way further right than than uh, Donald Trump and and even my mentor Steve Bannon. But um, this is <laughs> this is a, I am I'm way further right. He'll tell you, he'll tell you. I I, I message Steve sometimes and say shit, and, and Steve would be like, "Hey man, calm down, young fella." <laughs> you know, he doesn't say it like that, but you know, in, in effect, that's the voice I hear in my head. It's just, just calm, calm yourself down, young fella. You're, Slow your roll. You're way out there. Hold Slow on. your roll. Let's reel you back in. Okay, 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 I'm coming back. I'm coming back to shore. Throw me a life raft here. I'm out here in the deep waters. But um, this is a real uh, pitfall of, of the Protestant, um, the Protestant manifestation of Christianity in the country. It's, uh, it's, it's very drive-through. And, and to your point, when you say <clears throat> that politics and, 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 uh, and faith are separated, the entire edifice of Martin Luther's revolt from the church was what? You know, it was, let's go straight to the scripture. There is no church. There is no authority. And yeah, it seems good when the church is definitely has corruption issues like it does now to say, we don't want to be governed by corrupt authority. But then in the absence of real wisdom and faith, you end up not being governed at all. And that's the, that's the, you know, that's the pendulum. And, and so in not being governed at all, when people out there on their own without real guidance, because they want to say scripture is their, is their guide, but you can look at any of these 501c3 Christians and see that their, their, their uh, knowledge of scripture is lukewarm, half-baked at best, and then they still take the time to interpret the scripture beyond what the word says, right? If you go to any of these Christian, uh, Baptist, uh, you know, uh, um, Lutheran, whatever it is, you know, that, that Protestant denomination. It's always a guy up there that's saying, this is how to interpret the scripture. But a very popular 501c3 Protestant position is, we're doing scripture, not church. We're going straight to God, Jesus, not, not through the priest, through the Pope, which has some validity to it. But, but the problem is when you're out there like that, um, you start to uh, be a little... Uh, self self-centered and self-aggrandized in your in your relationship with Christ. You always hear people say he's my personal lord and savior. No, he's not. He Christ is everyone's lord and savior. Whether they accept him or not is a different story, but it's not personal. And so the the, the Protestants make things very personalized and the faith becomes very personalized. Well, in a personalized faith when when you fear when you fear the, the wrath of God or that you aren't doing it right, that you're not practicing the faith right because you're not a part of an institution, uh, of course you're going to create a, a, a loophole, a lukewarm loophole where you go, 
I don't have to do anything in this life. I just accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that's it. That's the end. I'm good. And in that, and in that, it's so weird that on the right wing of the political spectrum, you have this devout love for Israel from a bunch of people who, in many other cases, still espouse a certain level of anti-Semitism, right? I mean, there's a very profound evangelical sort of right-wing Protestant love, love, quote-unquote, of the Jews, but I think it's kind of masochistic. I think, I think what it is is they, they want to bring about the end times. They want to go to an all-out war for Israel to actually bring about the end times because it's that angst. It's like, you know, Christ is coming. The, you know, it's, it's sort of like an Armageddon-loving type of weird deal. Uh, that may be out there for some people, but I just look at, I'm reading the, the comments, I'm reading what people say, and just... Oh, they don't like it when you do this. Right? Oh, yeah, they could, they could kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, unsubscribed and cuck motherfucker, because I don't want you. If you can't take the truth, Fuck, go fuck yourself, because guess what? What good are you doing me anyway? What good are you doing us? If you're sitting there lying, you know, there's this... Coming up with a reason not to be involved. There's this, yes. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, after I watched the Please Call Me Crazy podcast. You know, we not, we don't, I don't need you. I don't need though. I'm, I'm not in it for friends. I'm not, I had a guy We're say to me, movement. I had a guy say to me just yesterday, he goes, because he said I was, I, I took too long to get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Right, yeah, right. yeah. And I told him go fuck himself. I, I watched that. And and he goes, he goes, you really want to tell me? You want to get on me? One of your, you know, one of your biggest supporters? You ain't no supporter of mine. If you need me to get into, and, you know, he's well. I just want you to think about it for the average person who's why. I don't want them to. I don't give a fuck about that. That's not what telling the truth. That's not what being a leader really is. You don't cater to the crowd like I told Jason Whitlock, or I said on my podcast before. If your media career is your wife and child and you cater to what your woman, your audience wants to hear, then that's like letting your bitch run your life. And that's how I view it. And I think that's why you respect when you say a, a, an older age of a, a different generation of male, of maleness. And, and it, again, the Protestant worldview, and there's tons wrong with the Catholic Church. Archbishop Vigano talks well about that. Hey. There's better references than me. Anti-Jews, we're all, we're all, we, 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 we know. The, I mean, the, the minos, the Muslims in name only, right? Hamas. But they look good. These people those, are minos. They like, they look, you know, here's my question. But one, I'll say this, but to end, to end. The Protestant worldview is so personalized. It's almost baked in that to be Protestant is to renounce any involvement in the world. That's how esoteric and, and abstract the faith has become out there on that Protestant wing. And so you'll hear a lot of people talk about revelations and end times, and they predict it so much, it's almost as though they're living out a cosplay in it. And so they have this sort of nihilism about political involvement when, when you really look at it, it's like, we're not even scratching the surface politically. I mean, I could see if there was a full tilt movement and 90% of people were voting, 95% of people were voting, and they were rigging it and cheating, and there were people at the doors of power banging, saying, "We've been cheated. We've been, we've been, you know, we've been housed here, right? <laughs> you know, we got hosed, right? That's not what's going on here. Mostly, people have just renounced any involvement. It's a very, this is what I said: the Judeo-Buddhism. This is a, all you know, and I say Judeo because the Judeo piece comes from that Christian Protestant. Re, you know, reformation of American faith. 
the, the Buddhist, the difference between the Buddha and Christ is that the Buddha resigned from the world. In order to reach nirvana, he had to feel nothing in the world. That's the tenet of Buddhism. It's fundamentally different than Christianity. Christianity is accepting the, the despair, the, the burden of, of life, the gift of life and the burdens that come with it and bearing that cross. And if you don't understand the difference in that, then you, you're not Christian. I don't care what God you pray to. I don't care what you say at night. I don't care what book you read. If you don't understand the difference between resigning from the world and accepting and bearing your cross in the world, then you're not, you're not Christian. And chances are you're probably doing the, the work of, of Satan. And a lot of Buddhists, respectfully, the Buddhists and the Hindus and the numerologists and the astrologists and all these people have kind of, you know, they talk about this, this, um, this sort of uh, you know, mix and match melting pot of, of identity politics. Well, there's a mix and match melting pot of faith politics too, right? And both of them seem to be strapped against the same people. <laughs> the identity politics are anti-American. The hegemony of other faiths are against Christians. And that's because our, our prophet, our Messiah, is the only one who had a pick up your cross and bear it type of demonstration of self-sacrifice. A very action-orientated political yes. philosophy. Yes, I love Matthew 34. 34.10, I think. Uh, if you'll find, when you find your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life, in my name, you'll find it. In other words, are you willing to give everything for your faith, for your relationship with God? But I, I, I had a thought. Yeah, First of all, ahead. my sidebar, my sidebar. I know that was a so, crazy rant. Sorry about that, audience. Well, that's I great. Just, I got a lot of can't wait to built read. up aggression can't against this. Can't wait to read the live chat on this one. Oh, no, I'm please. unsubscribing from this bullshit. <laughs> you know the minos. I was just thinking, they ha they still wear those traditional white vestments or robes. They, thobs. They call them thobs. I think. Okay. Mm -hmm. They never have any food stains on them. They're always just fantastically white as snow. <laughs> I'm very impressed by that. These I people, don't think you're getting close enough on the I'm cameras. I'm telling you, it looks great. I think if you got up close to them, they still have, they got a few. If I was wearing them, my goal would be not to get any ketchup <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I was thinking about when you're talking about Martin Luther, things are so multifactorial. And you take a look at when the, the nail went in that door. And then what happened just right afterwards was the Industrial Revolution, the Freudian influence on the way people think. You're talking about how these people got atomized and pulled away from the church and developed a very personalized uh, psychology around their faith. And a very materialist kind of psychology. Mm -hmm. Well, that's related, I think, to the Industrial Revolution. Had the Industrial Revolution not happened, perhaps that would have had a different tract. But because materialism started to give such a great benefit, and then faith in God or the organization that comes with a discipline, a Protestant discipline getting tied to material success, and then because we have this Protestant discipline tied to the Industrial Revolution, tied to Calvinism, which ended up being Darwinism, there's a way people's consciousness are formatted. So going back to what you said, quite a ways upstream, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think people know 
why they think the way they think. They haven't sorted through those cross currents. And I think that's a lot of what we're trying to do at Free People Radio. Absolutely. If we know why we think. Which is why we're okay, which is why, again, I'll go back to it and say it very clearly, which is why we're okay with you unsubscribing if you're triggered and can't take the, the critical thought about the formulation of how people think in the world, the, the people's belief systems, people prejudgments. And listen, I'm not saying Catholicism is, is, the, is the coup de grace of, of faith denomination. I'm not saying it's not. I think the Catholic Church is the Church of Christ. I'll just be honest. That's what the Scripture says, at least. I mean, I'm, it is what it is. But it, that doesn't mean that the Pope can't be corrupt, obviously. I, I, don't even know how the, I don't even know how many anti-Christian, anti-Catholics, who are on the right as well. I mean, there's a lot of libertarian folks who say, who believe in what we believe in America first policy and shrinking the government, all these things you get to God and they're like, we don't want the God part. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know if, if you think you've gotten a moral and ethic from something other than Christianity, they might, find it. They might, but their son will be that mass murdering son of a bitch Rudrick. I mean, if we don't, right, if right. we can't transmit the, the morality tied to a faith, right. It runs well, we're living in that. I mean, that's where we're at in the United States of America. They decoupled faith from governance. Absolutely. And then sacred honor went out of being. And, and, and not only governance, but. Everything but else. Every economics. Thing, everything else. And I said it before, you know. Medicine, law. Everything. everything. Right. Every, capitalism without God is. Capitalism without God is just ends up being. Protestantism. <laughs> I'm not going no, that far. That was a joke. I'm not going Please, that it far. was a joke. <laughs> it just ends up, <laughs> it ends up being thievery is what it ends up being. It ends up being every man for himself and justifying. I want to apologize to all the Protestants. It was just a joke. I had a joke. It's Hebrews. Come on yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And Please. we all are Hebrews. Look, the Jews, the Muslims, the Catholics, the Protestants. Man, my point is, as an olive branch, man, I love me some Protestant music. I'm going to tell you that much. The Protestants, ooh, they jam at, the, at their church. Oh, you're talking about they, they don't like I those. played that one thing from uh, from Chicago. Yeah. Oh, you mean the the black the black choir? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the black you know the black Protestant thing is slightly different, and then you got all these different cultural you know degrees of things. Can I make a the, comment? The, the black I, Baptist church please. is slightly different than white Protestantism. Can I make a comment? But, I want to explain. I feel vulnerable because I made a un, an inappropriate joke, but I want to share where it's coming from. I have never in my life experienced anti-Semitism until I ran into the Protestant Minnesota GOP. And I've said this before, and I've said it to you many times. My mother, who is a leftist, told me I was going to be a token of the Republican Party. Token. That's its own kind of loaded comment. Hebrew. Mm -hmm. I was so mad at her. And I ran into so much know-nothing and when I talk about the know-nothings, I said it, I'm going to say it again. The proto-Republican Party was the Whigs and the know-nothings. The Whigs had an Antifa called know-nothing. It was a violent gang of murderers that used intimidation and murder and force to disincentivize immigration. And there's a great movie about it. We talked about it, Scorsese, Gangs of New York. I mean, this is something people should take a look at because the Protestant movement was vicious. The Popery. 
It was vicious. It was vicious. And when we talk about why are Jews, we say it again, why are Jews still in the Democrat Party, even though the Democrat Party is pro-Hamas in a huge segment? <laughs> I mean, the Jews should be running out of there. Should look just like those people running across the desert. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, they're not. Because they're afraid of where they're going to run to. So I, I went through a period in my podcast where I would just look at the camera and say, if you're a racist, if you're an anti-Semite, if you're a xenophobe, if you're a homophobe, get out of the Republican Party because those people are preventing. Don't clump the homosexuals in with us, though. That's a hard line. We're not, we're not. We're, and let me, let me. They're American citizens. Okay, Come on. fine, fine. That's fine. Okay. I, and I've said it before. I Look, whatever you do in your house is your business. That's correct. That's, that's just the reality we, because. And this this was a line me and Bryson Gray got into this this spat one time on Jason. I like Bryson. He's a smart smart guy. He's he's a believer. You know, he's trying to find his way too. He's since been kicked off of Jason's show too. I believe, or he's not making as many really? appearances. Yeah, I think him and Jason really got into it one one episode. I didn't even see it, and I didn't even go back to watch it because it's just like I could feel that tension building up too, um, well in advance. Partly stemmed from the Andrew Tate thing. I think a lot of a lot of uh, Jason's, you know, just how the Deion Sanders thing unfolded, there was a moment in there where Jason really spent a lot of time going after Andrew Tate. Uh, and I think the younger MAGA America First movement do a better job of taking the good with the bad in some instances, right? Um, in other cases, we do a poor job with it. It's just, it is what it is, right? It's a, it's, it's a pendulum. But anyway, me and Bryson had that, 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 that argument about... Um, about the government and homosexuality, and and should the government, you know, if you if you take a biblical stance of you know stoning, right, these people who are sinners or or homosexuals or, you know, th that that type of mentality, right, that there should be government harsh government punishment, but there should also be a level of of proving uh, uh, homosexuality by, you know, Bryson's point to me one time was we were on the show and he says. Back then, you know, if, if, three, if three people saw you do it, if three people confirmed that you did it, then you did it. And my point to him was, that was a problem even then. There was a lot of corruption in that, right? And, and we saw that with the Salem witch hunt and other stuff like, you know, that, that happened throughout the Bible even where we like, oh, we got that way wrong as, as a Christian community. Um, now I mean the Salem witch hunt specifically, but you know, just stories throughout the Bible where we got that that multiplied propagation as a as an axiom of truth, we got that way wrong, and there was huge problems that came from it. Um, but the point is, and I think the point now for America First as a policy position is, yeah, we don't want a Christian government. That's where the Protestant right wing, you know, like the Nick Fuentes types go way too far. We don't want a Christian government. We want Christian leaders in the government, which is different. We don't want to tell people that they have to be Christian or, or, or under the fear of persecution. And the reason there's a Christian argument for that policy position. The Christian argument is God wants us to choose God of our own free will, not through fiat and tyranny and fear. Yeah, I mean, fear to an extent. Intimidation. But not through intimidation, not being coerced, because you can't be forced to love somebody. The point of Christianity is to love God. Is to is to submit to God to and to love God to, to choose love. God. You can't you can't choose genuine love through fiat. That's why God gave us free will, which also argues against the predeterminists within the Christian community. You can't have predeterminism 
and genuine love for God doesn't work. You, you, if you didn't have free will, then your love would be minuscule. And then Jesus Christ's, Jesus Christ's sacrifice would then be minuscule. I mean, you start to create a minuscule hierarchy of the entire faith. The whole point of it is that free, when, man, when man can overcome all of his sins and vices and impulses and, 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 and all of the, the, the wickedness that, that resides in us to choose God, well, that's worth something. I mean, that's, that's glorious. That's, you know, receive the glory, the, the, the reward. And, you know, the reward is, is love. But, but the point is that I'm you making. You've got to say that again. What you're saying is, is when a person chooses God in the moment he's motivated to sin, that's a glorious becoming for that individual. That's the free will to give up the addiction to sin to have a relationship with God. Yeah. So we don't need a Christian or a Judeo-Christian governance. We just need governors <laughs> who will forswear sin. To, to lead people to a higher formulation of humanity of humanity yeah right well i hope that will comfort some of the people that think we're trying to set up cuz i've heard people christo fascist no and this is the number one and this is how they get us and i said i, I went down that line I, sometimes i go on these tangents but i i hope we develop an audience that appreciates the 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 sequential somewhat sequential nature of critical thought cuz this is how i think in my head I'm sharing it with y'all with you all in the audience you all y'all um <laughs> um, I said it in regards to homosexuals because a very clear line for me is, yeah, we would, we would hope people don't engage in homosexual behavior, but we don't want to surrender our rights to a government because the fear of a tyrannical government is worse than my fear as a Christian of being influenced by homosexuality. I think that's a very, very simple Christian view towards politics. But if you just throw your hands up with politics from the beginning, of course you're going to say, you know, jail the homosexuals or, or prosecute them. It's just like, okay, well, how, how long until four guys, four of your enemies who don't like the business you, get, you got, don't like your successful business, they bear false witness. come together and bear false witness? So even the foundation of, of our country from a legal sense, when it's done in earnest, was an evolution and sort of safeguard from the blind spots in the faith tradition which is just as beautiful and as astounding as I could possibly even, you know, con you couldn't write it any, any more profound than that. Yeah, people will bear false witness in the name of God. We've seen it. That's why it's in the commandments. Right. Don't do it. Right. I mean, it's actually baked in the cake, <laughs> the frailty of humanity. I think in the Muslim world, to have a, a rape conviction, you need four... Yes. Men yes. that agree that there was a rape. Whoa. That's, that's a tough crowd. <laughs> it's a very that's tough, a tough crowd. crowd. You know, I just want to say, because I, I'm, I, I predate a lot of the list, you know, my age is a little bit longer. In, when I was your age, a little bit before I was your age, by the time I was your age, things were already cracking off. Mm -hmm. But in the 1960s and 70s, if I graduated in high school as 1,104 kids, we didn't have one gay person in that school. Now, obviously, there were gay people in that population, but we grew up, and it was beyond being gay. Nobody talked about sexual matters. Mm. Things were buttoned down. And, you know, it was, um, 
Whoa. What could that be? Might be. Maybe it's Chris. Could That's be. That's what it is. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Well, I just want to say that I, you know, I, um, I graduated there. We didn't have, um, we didn't have an awareness of what people's personal sexual proclivities were. It wasn't shared. It was thought to be poor form. People were restrained in that regard. And from my perspective, that's not such a bad thing. And I, and I say this within the context of the seven seals. People go, what's the seven seals? We're in the, in the apocalyptic literature, in the, eschat, in the eschatological framework, yeah. there were seven seals. And it occurred to me we have seven deadly sins. So it sounds very esoteric. The seals were broken. They, like in some kind of supernatural way. No. The boomers broke all the seals. I mean, we just broke all the seals. We broke them. And we let all this chaos into the world. And the way to really reverse the chaos is for the people to have boundaries. Mm. Just have a boundary. And so I don't have any particular animus to any people. Speaking of gay people, I mean, I'm to, whatever they do, like you said, it's fine. I just don't want to know about it. I just don't want to know about it. Well, even it's just I don't. I, the the real disagreement is, let's not have it be the central focus of American politics. Let's not have it be the central focus of going out for a cocktail. I don't want to know what your sexual thing is. I don't share mine. It's not. A, it's you know we've lost a certain kind. My grandmother used to call it the Victorian, a Victorian era. We've lost a certain sensibility of privacy, of being discreet. Everybody wants. Social media, everybody's telling everybody everything. Yeah, I mean, really, until we started doing that, this. That, that's a that's a herald of totalitarianism, ain't it? How so? Mankind surrendering its its privacy willfully to the government, to the state, for review, for for Cataloging. social for social uh, for social status. You know, that's an interesting thing for all the people that are popping into Pornhub. It's being logged and recorded. Yeah, that should be a motivation enough. Unless you people like being watched. Maybe people like that. We live in a cuck society. People like being watched. People like watching. That's that's foreign to my thinking. The last thing I want to listen, we'll, we'll wrap up here. It's been a been a great epic conversation. It's been wild to do people, this. People enjoy it. Be I hope. In trouble. Maybe. Trouble. Maybe be, you know, be in trouble. You know, there is no trouble. Well, let's just say this. We're exploring. We're exploring. Sometimes. We go off the cliff. We forgive ourselves. We come back. We try again. I'll be honest. It's not off the cliff at all. The the Protestant, the Protestant. There he goes yeah, again. The, go on. Go the, on. The, the, the Protestant world, the, the Protestant worldview in many respects has that personalized nature to, to faith tradition. And Which fractures a community. With, with, creates a kind of radical libertarianism. Within Christianity. Allows people to be so self-interested. Yes. That as long as I got my stack. Yes. I don't care about what you. Absolutely. And that's what we were talking about. And fence it as and take the Lord's name in vain and say, you know, I don't have to be involved in politics because I'm saved by my personal Lord and Savior and everything's going to be good. And in the end, like I said, I see a a sort of uh, communal masochism in, in in the Protestant community about the end times. It's it's it, you know it's a little bit less than a, a warning a cautionary warning to to um, to motivate ministry and and e- e- 
um, evangelism. It's more of like a, it's more of like a masochistic sort of revelation is is what it is. It's, it's like, all about me. I want to go to heaven. Yeah, yeah. Let's just you know let's speed up the let's speed up the war there in Jerusalem. We let's, had let's that get, argument, let's get it going. and I told you, and you argued with me. Let, let's that let's let Jerusalem be the hill that we die on. Part of the British intellectual tradition that part of it was they wanted the oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there was British politicians that wanted to put the Jews in Israel for exactly that kind of a Protestant desire to see the end times come. Oh, that's a that's an actual historical thing. It is. Really? It is. See, I didn't even know that. My intu- I'm just watching what people are saying. And that masochism oh, I'm gonna is... Go I'm going to go get you some source material so you Please. can read it. Yeah. yeah, that'd be good. Because I'm talking about the people that are on Balfour, for example. The people that were in that government at the time of the Balfour Declaration, there were many Protestant, very faithful people that wanted Israel to be reconstituted on the pathway to the second coming of Christ. They re- That's straight up. And I want to just say this, just to throw a little more grist in the mill from the Jewish perspective. I know we have a lot of different groups here. We've got Catholics and Protestants. To me, from where I sit, hey, we're all Jewish. So, sorry, because, you know, Christ is Jewish. So, for the Jews that believe in Christ, they just, I don't see those distinctions quite so clearly. Judaism perfected, they say. I've heard in that. Christ. I've heard that in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're working on it. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I mean, it's just it's right there in the Scripture. And the first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, was a shattering of, of a, of an ethno-national uh, sort of uh, religious nomenclature of the time. Right. I mean, Jesus was anti-ethno-national, and that he the second great gift, a comforter that will live inside you. Mm-hmm. That ended the control of the religious hierarchy, which maybe led to the Protestant taking it to the next step. But Christ gave us a relationship with God directly. So we didn't need the religious hierarchy. And I think that was then part of that Protestant formation. Right. Right. And I'm not saying that you need the, ch- the Catholic Church. I'm not saying that you need the Catholic Church. I'm, I'm actually a Catholic, but I, I don't believe that you need the Catholic Church per se. The Church has its own structural fr- function in the faith. That's, that's important. But do you it's, need the Catholic education to be a Catholic? And how are you going to get that education if there isn't a Catholic Church? That's the runaround right there. Yeah. That's where we're yeah. running out yeah. by going into this secular education and separating church and state. We don't have the mechanism to pass forward how do you develop a relationship with God? And I know many of the viewers and listeners have a great relationship with God, and others are here trying to find it. And what about how big? Just what about how big some of these mega churches have become? Uh, you know how how big of a money scam some of these mega churches have become in their own right. I mean, yeah, they're not the 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 glory of the Catholic Church and diamonds and rubies and gold of the you know the Vatican and and the you know the the, the almost infinite amount of money that the Vatican wields in its coffers. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we can, we can talk about that. No problem here. Um, but each respective little Protestant enclave, you know, has its, its own grip going on as well. Right. And these mega churches are, are uh, infomnia in my opinion. You know, you got these, these televangelists. I mean, these people are pimping. These people are using Christ to, to, to sell it. Using the Lord's name in vain. Using the Lord's name in vain. 
you know, you're setting up tele, you know, and then they, you know, the whole safe thing and they got people coming up and catching the Holy Ghost and it's just, you know, it, it's come. Dial you know, the number. Dial the number, catch the Holy to, Ghost. We're ready to pray for you. You know, and I'm not trying to get down on anybody or disrespect anybody, but it just is. Look, how did a Protestant country get taken over by Satanists and not be an indictment of the Protestants or the Catholics or the Christians who say or that the they're Jews. doing the thing? Or the Jews, yeah. Yes. There has been a breakdown in religious transmission. And I will say in the Orthodox Jewish tradition, and I think in the Catholic Orthodox tradition, there's still a very good mechanism for transmitting from father to children. And I'm saying that very carefully for the women listeners, because in my tradition, we would say father to son, but from father to children, a faith in God. That's a father's responsibility. I watch you doing it with your kids. Mm. Pretty nice, actually. Does your audience know you have two kids? Four. Four. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Four kids. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. They, Do know. they know it. Yeah. Great. Because I see you interacting with them. Yeah. And it's beautiful what you're doing. It's great. Do they know that you're coaching? Yeah, they know. It's you the, share this stuff with yeah. them. Okay. It's, it's my, great. It's my, it's my guilty pleasure because it doesn't feel like service. I don't really feel guilty about it. I'm just using that as a saying. But it's, it's really a joy to be able to work with uh, my son, but not just my son, but all of his friends and to, to be able to be a, um, a father figure in the community. Because you're passing on. Mm-hmm. In that act of coaching, more than how to play basketball. Of Am course. I correct? Of course. Oh, yeah. For and sure. this is the difference between people that have faith and people who are coaching maybe in the next gym that don't have any faith at all. They're passing through a materialist. They want to process win trophies. They want trophies of how to win. Yeah. And you're passing through a process of becoming an adult male person. I mean, this is completely different, and we're we're losing it. culturally. We're losing that, and that's why we got all these people running around, you know, to me, a- acting crazily. You know, they obviously believe things that I are far from what I believe, and they're proud of it, and they're willing to kill for it. Some of them, mm. and it's you know just a horrifying breakdown. And where does this come from? Our government. Our government is encouraging this. Our curriculum, the curri- you know, we have all, and I'm not knocking, and I'm not saying it's completely wrong. We have a, a certain kind of curriculum in our schools, but nobody is teaching people how to be physically healthy, and nobody's teaching the children how to be spiritually healthy. Mm-hmm. So they're not teaching them how to be healthy. What are we teaching them? What are we teaching them? We're teaching them how to be unhealthy. Mentally unhealthy, too. Good business. That's a really great business model. Get them when they're young, teach them how to be sick, and then pimp them for the money. These people make those televangelists look like the, the scam, the size of the scam. We got a pimple on a buffalo's ass over here. The buffalo is this uni party that's promoting a very unhealthy society. And to end, I mean, I, no, no greater example than neocon Nikki Haley. If you're out there, whether you believe in, in uh, God uh, or, or not even, uh, whether you are Christian, uh, Muslim, Jewish, whether you're Protestant, Catholic, more, it doesn't, you know, all, all people, all American citizens should be able to listen to what Nikki Haley said last night and understand 
the direction and the agenda, the mission. The mission is to create a perpetual state of warfare and that the, they can profit and from. And the banking system is 100% behind her. The Federal Reserve, Nikki Haley, is their huckleberry. And I know say, that for a fact. Say more. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I Proceed. mean, the, 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 the money, talking about the money. The juice. The juice is on Nikki. Has been for a long time. And I watched them build this up. It's crazy. Well, I don't know, think they can go from Barack. I mean, you know, at least Barack Obama was charismatic. He's a decent, handsome guy, prolific speaker. Fantastic. Incredible, incredible public speaker. Uh, you know, almost robotic. You twist your head into a pretzel, that guy. You know, you know, comes from, a, you know, to think that you could go from Barack Obama as your puppet to Nikki Haley as your puppet speaks to how stupid they think American citizens are. You know, it's you're scamming different people. Every administration is putting a scam on somebody different. Barack Obama was not here to scam the street. Oh, yeah, but Nikki Haley was not, Nikki Haley. First off, the the big difference between Barack Obama and Nikki Haley is gender. Maybe <laughs> just throwing it. Out. Just <laughs> couldn't resist. Maybe. <laughs> I don't man that that coat she was wearing is so. So bad is scary. It's so bad. I mean, her whole get up is so bad. You 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 have to you have to you have to manufacture the approval, the support, the liking of Nikki Haley. I can I can see it. when the New York Times says Nikki Haley won that debate. I can tell that Nikki Haley's entire political uh, you know status is a complete scam from from the you know root and branch. Nobody likes Nikki Haley. I, I don't know anybody who likes her. I honestly don't. I can't. I couldn't call it one person. Well, first, some people wouldn't even know who she was. Secondly, if they do know that they actually like her, there's nothing remotely genuine or authentic about her. It's horrifying. But the point I was gonna make about Barack Obama is the di- the, the stark difference between her and Obama is Obama was always intended to win. Nikki Haley's just there to lose. And not only is she there to lose, she's there to set a benchmark. She's there to set a bar for what losing should look like for the Republican Party. Going forward. Going forward. Right. Go, go out. If, go, if you're going to go out, the only way you have a chance, the only way you have a chance is if you told the neocon, neoliberal order line. So if you're going to be a Republican and run Republican, which we kind of reject from the outset, but if you're going to be Republican, you better be a Nikki Haley Republican or else, you know, you might be carted off as an extremist and a, a, a terrorist in, in the near future. Come on, Nikki, we're going to war with, she said, she actually had the audacity to say, if we would have given the Ukrainians the equipment they needed in the beginning, this wouldn't be a problem. They would have won the war already. Mm. <laughs> she actually told, she said that in front of the American people and she had the audacity to call Vivek Ramaswamy scum. Yeah, and Amy Klobuchar went out on, on X and said, we can't turn our back on the Ukrainians now. They've taken back so much territory from the Russians. Now the time to double it down. They've actually, it's, they've actually strategically lost. This is the, and this is the leftist but neocon, neoliberal, ends justify the means misinformation campaign that the CIA has always been useful in, the security state's always been useful in, with, with Mockingbird and things like this. They'll just lie to you. They'll just lie, tell you a complete lie, lie, lie. If you're, if you go back, like the Vietnam War, 
we're going to turn over Vietnam to the Vietnamese. There was a big peace talk with Henry Kissinger. Oh, Kissinger again. Mm. The United States withdrew. And a year later, it collapsed. And they had the same thing. They got the best army, dedicated fighting force, the best equipment, and the Viet Cong and the Vietnamese, North Vietnamese army just overran them. Just bang. And we all were sitting on television going, what? We thought these people had it together. We just watched it with Afghanistan. We had Joe Biden saying that there's 150,000 of the best trained. They were Taliban. We trained the Taliban and gave them billions of dollars of, of kit. 90 and, billion. And when it came apart, it came apart overnight. Yeah. The only reason that happened. And, and, and people moved on. And Because people are. Want to get, they want to get to McDonald's and get their French fries. That's right. I believe, I believe, and we've had this conversation ongoingly since the start of the war. And I'm going to just, if you want to sometime talk about the letter that I, we talked about that yeah. we should send to Putin. Mm -hmm. And we said, the world depends on you. Because we knew these people are crazy. Maybe, but, maybe not. I just, you know, now. That's why we didn't publish it. But my point. I ended up publishing one. Did you? But, yeah, Okay, I did, but, yeah. the, but my point is, why Ukraine has not collapsed like that, my belief is, because Putin doesn't want to fall into the trap. The trap, yeah. Of what's next. He's just sitting there, and they've moved on. Well, the thing about him is, the thing that I think they've underestimated, first off, I think they're trying to kill him. I think there's an, I, I would venture to guess there's an ongoing open contract security state uh, intelligence community mission to assassinate him. That's, that's my opinion. You can't tell me that, you know, if, if who, who car bombed Dugan? Who, who car bombed Dugan's daughter? They want to say it's people from inside Russia. Maybe that's true. Maybe there are Russians who. Who said that lie? Us. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, said they were internal. There's internal. Sure. But the real, the yeah. real, the real. Who are they working for? The real diagnosis of the situation in Russia is this. Obviously, Vladimir Putin has such great power, such widespread power, intimidation, fear, political capital, whatever you want to say, um, that he is very insulated. Because if they could have had somebody from within betray him for a bag of cash, it would have happened already. It would have happened 10 years ago. I think it was a senator. It hasn't happened because Vladimir Putin's a little bit different than our leaders, and the Russian people feel a little bit differently about loyalty to their leaders than we do. Hey, I've got a, a, uh, another Nikki Haley for you. Senator Lindsey Graham. They're the same person. Absolutely. Same person. Mm -hmm. He actually came out and asked for the Russian leadership to assassinate Putin. Now, how do you ever do business when you're coming out and asking for your counterparty to get it clipped? Mm -hmm. Pretty hard to sit down and have a peace conference under that basis, right? Yeah, I mean, who, who, but again, who votes for Lindsey Graham? Who's voting for these people? You know, that's a really good question. Who, no, it? seriously, if you had to diagnose it right now, see me, when I go to diagnose it, Lindsey Graham's the, where, where's South Carolina? South Carolina, same as Nikki Haley. Isn't that interesting? Isn't do that we not do we not think that there's a heavy cohort of of Protestant right wing Republicans in that state? Well, we must. Okay, here we go again. We're back. We're back at point A. 
I mean, is there is there is there? We could look it up if we if you went to the numbers, the numbers will tell you. Men lie, women lie, numbers lie. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes those numbers tell you a lot. And I guarantee you, if we looked at the, at any at any conventional democrat, uh, any conventional wisdom about the demographics of South Carolina and where Lindsey Graham and Nikki Haley's power base is, I bet you we find a huge Protestant Republican community constituency. And you know who proceeded? Why are Lindsey you Protestants Graham? voting for neocons? And <laughs> wait a crazy. second. Wait a sec. Do you know who preceded Lindsey Graham? Strom Thurmond. Mm-hmm. A racist of the highest order. Friends with Joe Biden. I'm not telling you Protestants to come back to the Catholic Church. Let's be clear about it. I just want you to stop fucking voting for Nikki Haley. Stop voting for Lindsey Graham. That's a really good point. Stop voting for Mitchell McConnell. Are they voting for Donald Trump? These people? I, I think when you get to the presidential level, I think the, 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 the entire political system, culture, is, is, uh, is stratified. When you get to the presidential, it becomes a whole new thing at the presidential level. So at the state level, you get a bunch of neocons and ne'er-do-wells. Evidently from the RNC and the, the Republican Party at the, at the apparatus but level. But the RNC is working full-time overtime. The debate. Was anti-Trump. It's anti-Trump. That's the whole the, point the of whole it. The whole thing. The whole thing. Vivek had to stop him. He had to, they try to get, why would you be a better president than the former president? You know, the, can you imagine, just, just think about it. If it wasn't, if it, again, go back to this debate. If it wasn't for Vivek, the whole thing is neocon. It's so, it's, it's, you can't it's even watch unseemly. it. It's unseemly. You can't even watch it. I didn't watch it. It's obnoxious. It. I just watched the highlights. I, I can't had to, take I it. had to watch it because I, I, I want to know, I want to know whoever's Republican out there that sees these, what were they saying? What did they say to you? Because now I got to be able to diagnose, are, are you being lied to? Or are you just stupid? And it's a very fine line after watching that debate because they mix in, like even DeSantis, the, the, the sanctimonious, he'll mix in a lot of America first rhetoric. And they all do. They all mix it in. But Except you, for Christie. But you, oh, pff, he's too fat to watch. I just, uh, every, time he t- every time he talked, I paused it. That sounds, I mean, I muted it. That sounds like a song. I won't watch, a man, I won't watch. watch a man that fat talk with a serious tone because where I'm from, you, you, like you said, for, and the, 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 the teacher used to beat the, the fat kid with the paddle just because, hey. Just because. Just because. Right. You know, as a message to the rest, Correct. don't be him. That's right. That's Chris Christie. That's a different He's era. too fat to Do take serious. you know serious. he had the stomach staple too? The, he had the energy. The, the surgery? Right. People. It didn't All work. you got to people. It didn't work. People. All you got to do is burn more calories than you consume. It's a very simple equation. Me, I just came off of a three-day fast. And, you know, this. I'm not trying to make Chris Christie feel better. I know there are people out there who genuinely struggle with their weight, partly because when you have that eschatological crisis from the lack of genuine faith. I'm not even talking about people who say they don't believe God. I'm talking about people who are in the faith community, believe in God, but still have eschatological crisis and practice it. Right, these these things become their their vice. You got drugs, alcohol, gluttony food. is one of the seven Absolutely. deadly sins. So, my, you know, I'm for all you other people out there who haven't let your obesity and fatness become the the bane of America First policy, like Chris Christie, um, too fat for TV. People have genuine issues with food. I get it. 
I mean, I really do get it. Not only is it highly addictive, but it's, it's an emotional and crazy time. There's a lot of despair. People eat emotionally. I get it. Go to the grocery store. The food choices are unhealthy to start with. No, but I get when it. When we were so brainwashed in the whole thing. It ain't thing. that. It, it, yeah, it's unhealthy, but still, the, first off, there's a little bit of a scam in there because the human body, it's, it's sort, of, sort of blaspheme against God. To, to, this was the COVID shot. I'll go that another day. But what, <laughs> the human body is much more resilient than people give it credit for. And part of that is a heresy. Like these MGOs and things that they're creating in these labs are going to, uh, you know, outdo God's, God's invention. Tough going. The human body's resilient en masse. Remember how everybody was going to go sterile from the COVID shot? Ain't going to happen. God's, God, God's got a little better design than that. They can try, and they may have tried on purpose, but that ain't, that ain't going to happen. Nuclear bomb, one incineration. Now we're working our way up the ladder. Fauci cucks, science cucks, science geeks, don't got them beating God. Um, the food thing, you know, I just come off of a three-day water fast, and then I did a seven-day cabbage soup detox, which is the standard for um, pre, pre-op open-heart surgery. And uh, the, the, the diet is like, you know, as much cabbage soup as you can eat throughout the day, natural diuretic, cabbage is diuretic, um, and it cleanses. It's a detox, right? But like the first day, you can only have fruit. The second day, you can only have vegetables. The next day, you can have a piece of chicken and as much vegetables as you want. The next day, it's like, you know, bop, 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 a yogurt and a banana, right? So it kind of takes you back to this baseline. And I lost like 13 pounds in eight days. And now, I'm a, and now I, I, my body feels so good, I'm going to go to, a, I'm going to do a seven-day water fast on, starting on Monday. I'm going to go seven straight days just water. And I start to think to myself, whose faith tradition has fasting baked right into it? Oh, I know. Go ahead. That would be the tribes of Israel. That's right. We have to fast calendrically. Right. That's part, that's like, there's just things you have to do. They have a mathematical equations, and fasting is part of the deal. So my point is, if you get as fat as Chris Christie, if you have a neocon rhino sort of political worldview, is it safe to assume that, that you're, you, you're probably, where, where you're using the Lord's name, you're probably using the Lord's name in vain? I mean, just on that basis alone. I, I'm, I'm not trying, and I know there are a lot of obese Christians out, I'm not trying to say, you're out. I'm just saying, look at the people that they march up there to speak to you. How did we even get here? How are these five, take Vivek out. Because the, 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 um, the appeal for Vivek is obvious. It goes without saying. He's young. He's articulate. He's, you know, a fire breather in, in many respects. People question his, people question his motives. Good. We should question all these leaders' motives right now. I'm okay with that. I think that's a healthy, that's a healthy uh, baseline starting point for every American citizen. Question all of them. Watch them like a hawk. Vivek too. You know, went to do podcasts with him. I like him. We talk. Still watching him, and he should watch me, right? But how did we get here with these other four? How, I mean, how did they end up? It, because they ran. See, because in order to get there, you had to have enough money to actually convince 
whoever it was that you had a serious campaign, how did they raise the money? How did Chris Christie or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or, you know, even Tim Scott, how did we get here with these, with these rhinos? I mean, look at the field. Well, that's the Republican Party. I mean, that's the hierarchy of the party. Every vertical. The party is chocked. And I'm not anti-military or anti-military career, but I believe that the party is way over-tilted into ex-military people. I don't think that's an accident. I don't have any 8 by 10 glossies, but it feels a little bit organized to me. Like, A, you retire from the military, you really never retire. Go into the Republican Party. Go into the Democrat Party. I'm the point now. Every time somebody says they're ex-military and they're running for office, I'm automatically against them mm. because they're neocons. They're just going to perpetuate the forever war. And this is hard to deal with because we, we all love have, the military. Well, we have a natural respect for people that are willing to die for something they believe in. Of course. That's what they're trading in, right? Yeah. And many of them have gone into combat, which deserves my respect. We got a guy right here in CD3, Alex Plekish. He's a, he's a, a neocon. He's an RNC National Committee member. He does not like me. He flew for the Marines. Uh, I, I have to respect him for that. I mean, that's a very great accomplishment. But he's a never-Trumper. He is a never-Trumper. Yeah, and this is the same. And you know what? Yeah. He's on the committee that puts these debates together, which are 100% constructed. What debates? The debate you just watched. The presidential debate. Yes, the sir. The RNC committee. He's on the committee. He's that, on the committee. He's on the committee. Is it a select group for, within the RNC? That is correct. And he's on it. And he's on it. Belly of the beast, aren't we? Yes, I am. Not just with the with the Somali immigrants, huh? Oh, I've been there. Seems like the Republicans, too. The Pashtuns and the Republicans. They don't like me. <laughs> they don't like me, you know? I they For a while, I think they thought I could be a token. But I talked back. You know, and what's funny about it is I met Alex Plekish, hear the stories about him and whatnot, and, you know, everybody, a lot of, lot of the Republican establishment people got a lot of negative things to say about me here in the state. Although when I go out and meet people who are grassroots, who watch Steve Bannon or who watch Alex Jones or who watched Fearless with Jason Whitlock or anybody who's a part of the grassroots sort of, they got nothing but, but, but support and, and love and praise. I want to but, say but, that, but could let me get because one second, I, one second. Okay, 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 okay. What I'm saying is, I run into these guys like Alex Plekish, and you know, you could serve in the military, you could do anything, you know. All that shit is cool. But when they see me, they just shake my hand and smile, and it, it could be out of it could be out of uh, malice or sort of sneaky vendetta. But but there's a there's you remember a, when we were sitting at the at the uh, yeah, at the one event yeah, and he walked winery. up he said he looks like a bunch of mutineers. Remember yeah, we were I didn't sitting? Even, I didn't even hear that. Oh yeah, because we if, you, if you if you're not a certain height, I don't even really, really listen and listen to you. <laughs> you know you gotta. Just, you, I'm, I'm saying no. I'm saying it seriously. You gotta. You, if, if, if you gotta, you have to say something of of significance. You have to build a rapport of me taking you serious. If you're fat like Chris Christie. Or if you're short like Alex Plekish, for me to even hear you. I want to say one thing about why I mentioned his name. That the people in the audience may not know this. There are 183 human beings with names, mm-hmm. three from every state and from our territories, that run the Republican Party, the RNC, which is absolutely disconnected from the American people. 
The way to dislodge these neocons, because you say, how do we get Chris Kirstie's and, and, and uh, Nikki Haley's? Yeah. Well, they're supported by the hierarchy of the RNC. They're people with names. They're people with histories. Right, right. They're people that have to get elected. Yeah. Why are they elected? We can't even get 100% of the people to the polls. 50%. We can't even get 21%. It's, <laughs> it's, and to get rid of these people, we need human beings, American citizens, America firsters. This is the Dan Schultz, the precinct strategy, mm-hmm. to be involved in the party, become a delegate. I say this, you know, we didn't talk about the 24 hours a year. 24, one day a year, and you can become a delegate, and you can vote so that we don't get these kind of people running through the system and standing before the American people, before my children, as the example of leadership, which makes my kids not want to vote because they look at that leadership and they go, oh, I'm not following these people. Right. And that's what you're trying to say. We need to get- uh, to create disengagement. Yes. And when people are disengaged, they can get away with anything. Right. But if we're engaged as the American soul, everybody that's listening, bring people into political activity. We that's want- why they hate Steve Bannon so much. You know, they, they you know, they they hate Alex Jones and they tried to crush Alex Jones. Don't get me wrong. And and they're continuing to try and crush Alex because Alex's, you know, spiritual insight, his his spiritual intuition on matters is just so so next level at his age. You know, he's 50 years old. You know, at his age, he's he's just a straight up pipe hitter. But the real reason they're scared of Steve is because he's an activist. He's a genuine activist. Alex is like a, you know, is like a cultural is like a cultural uh messenger, you know. He he he's speaking of things a little bit more broadly. A little bit spiritual. Spiritual, yeah. But Steve is a Steve. Steve is a materialist knife fighter. Well, he's and coming he, for And it. he's ex-military. And the, and, the, and the point I'm making is all you ex-military people out there who, who, um, who gave an oath to the country, follow in the footsteps of a Steve Bannon. How, how, how do you not follow? You know, there, there are military men and, and women who, who serve, who have some sacred honor. And and just by stand by, up by bro, please. We need you now. You have to stand up. If, and if, if you, you say don't, those words that we know you have sacred honor, I'm not going to discredit a military person just out of hand. I'm not a judgmental person. I'm going to discredit the ones that I know are going to perpetuate this status quo, which is what the party continues to churn forth. Yeah, and that's why they're not allowing you. Heard you. it last night. You heard it last night. The the dividing line between America First and the Rhino neo neocon establishment is number one, the debt ceiling, and by extension, forever wars. What are we financing? Seven trillion dollars. And Vivek said it perfectly. He said, "Weren't you all? What about Iraq? Seven trillion dollars. You, you talk about social security. You talk about taking care of promises made, promises kept. It's almost it's 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 obnoxious to even say." to hold the two views simultaneously that we could go to a forever war and keep the promises to the elderly with social security. And then you say, we're going to, we're going to extend the age of social security three more years. And Tim Scott had the decency to at least go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't make the 75 year old farmer work another four years. It's going to be bad on their back. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, so each one of them sprinkling a little bit, but out of all of them, Nikki Haley 
who the New York Times has heralded as the winner of the debate, was by far and away the worst. I mean, after Chris Christie just being a complete anti-Trump parrot of, of whatever he thinks is going to sound good to the crowd. Um, Nikki, it's a hustle. It's a hustle. Nikki Haley was actually, it, it was almost like I was watching somebody who had a sheet of paper in her mind of every anti-America first position. And she was just rattling them off. And that's who these people are. It was almost like, yeah, it was almost like a, it was almost like a psyop to say, we're going to double down on whatever anti, oh, they think uh, they're gonna win. Oh, they whatever think anti-MAGA constituencies in the Republican They're very country, happy in to the see 20% of the people vote. That's their goal. They, I said it for months. Mm-hmm. My three favorite Republicans here in Minnesota. Mr. We don't do that here. Talking about politics. Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. Mm-hmm. And Mr. History doesn't matter. These are my three stooges. The three stooges of the Republican Party of Minnesota. Who are they? What are their names? Blackish. That's, uh, we don't do that here. Uh-huh. We don't do politics here. We don't do politics. We don't need any more Republicans. That would be the chairman of the Congressional District 3, Mr. Randy Sutter. Okay. Whose wife is a National Committee woman. Okay. So the Sutters. And then uh, the uh, history doesn't matter. That would be... Uh, one of the top operatives, uh, Mr. Larry Frost. Military, ex-military. Military intelligence. Ma- imagine, military intelli- ma- imagine a military intelligence officer telling the, the, the constituents of any congressional district or senate district that history, history does, doesn't matter. And these people have to be called out because they're... In this, this is this is, guy on... Is he, is he, does, he do, does he do drugs? Does he strike you as a drug addict? No. Straight, straight, straight. But I'm going to tell you how that went down. It's a great story. Sounds like some of crackheads would say. I was, I was sitting in a... Room I know you got a lot of stories out there, you, you neocon cuck-servitors who watch Sean Hannity. You got a lot of outrage porn on the nightly news about how black people are, are black communities are riddled with drugs, right? I mean, that's a common epithet, right? Be, beware of the young black man who could bust in your door because he's on drugs or whatever the case may be. He's a degenerate. But you got military intelligence officers telling Republican Party civilians. members, civilians, civilians, people and, in the Republican and I want to Party, give you the context. telling the con- them history don't matter. No, the context That's was a crackhead. The, the context was the Ukraine war, right? And he didn't know who I was, mm-hmm. and I didn't know who he was the first time we met. And I was, he had made some comments about the importance of the war. I said, "Wait a second, wait a second. You're going to say Putin is an expansionist?" 1805, Britain attacked Russia. 1853, Britain attacked Russia. 1918, Russia was occupied by the West. Then we had the Nazis attack Russia. Then we had the Cold War. Now we got this war. I said, well, how, on what basis can you make the claim that Russia is an expansionist empire when it's always, the war's always fought in Russia or on their borders by the West? How are you so sure? And he said, ladies, history doesn't matter. Don't listen to him. No better place than that to stop right here. That is the gist of the entire uniparty scam that we're fighting against. Run by, headed by, led by none other than neocons just like Nikki Haley. Thanks for stopping by another, another, uh, for another episode. Everybody in the audience, thank you for being here again, Professor Penn. Got in the weeds today, didn't we? Got in the weeds. This is the He Bros podcast. We went everywhere. Remember, now, this from- is He Bros where we're, we're- 
we're we're plowing new ground. Yeah, Hebrew Hebrews and Negroes. You know, we're we're uh we're out there in the deep waters, but hey, trust me, the people who want to take your your rights and your freedoms, the people who want to perpetuate these scams, trust me, they're in the deep waters. And that's the one thing I said on my podcast about Steve Bannon to to end here. Um the reason why you can trust Steve, same way I can the reason why I could trust a person like you not to sell out, not to flip on the movement. If you did, it'd be heartbreaking. But the reason why I feel good about it is because the ideas are sorted out, right? The view, the actual view, the, the worldview, the fundamental. Knowing the history helps. The fundamental has intellectual rigor behind it. It's with you, it's with Steve. Hopefully people view me in a similar fashion. I can't, I can't sell out my positions because I have too much invested in them. They're and I'm not talking about money. I'm no, talking they're, about they're rooted in scholarship. Well, that, but but emotion, <laughs> right? I actually, I actually believe in the things that I'm saying because there's something there to believe in. A lot of people just go to get politics with French fries from a Ben Shapiro, for example, or a Sean Hannity. Jason, please come back and apologize. And it's hard to really stand on any on any real real solid ground in in that that part of uh, your mind. In that that area of the country, being a citizen, so 183 people, three in every state in the territories, are the shock troops running this scam. Yep. We only need the people that are listening to go into their parties, become delegates, and vote for America, a vote for the American citizens. That's it. Absolutely. We got to say it over and over. Absolutely. Precinctstrategy.com. Make sure you go to precinctstrategy.com and figure out how you can get involved in the party in your respective area of the country. Every state's mentioned there. Every state is different. You know, you may have a little bit of different process, but it's there for you to get involved. The party's one-third full if you don't get involved in the party, unless you're kept out like me. I tried to get in the party. They just I was stonewalled there. me They out. said I was so there. So I ran for Senate because, hey, fuck these neocons. They said you were a... <laughs> You were a physical threat. Yeah, I am a physical threat. Absolutely. They're Great. right. Yeah. Um, it's like a comedy routine. Yeah, yeah. Get, 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 in, get into the party if you can. Precinctstrategy.com. Subscribe to the Professor Penn Podcast, Aaron, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. Thank you for watching. We appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a bunch of great scholarly work there. Deep dive into history and a lot of the things that inform the conversations like the one we just had. Uh, about a number of issues. So make sure you go to Professor Penn Podcast, subscribe there. Myself, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, please call me crazy. I hope you like the organization of the channel. Keep it easy for you to understand uh, what which content is coming on which days. We're going to do more of that in the future, more content, more channels to come. We'll get the Hebrews channel up and running, and when that's up and running, we'll come and have a podcast here to tell you to go subscribe to that new channel. But I think it's like, I think we actually got the the username Hebros, uh, YouTube backslash at Hebros. So I think we actually have uh, the, the namesake for that channel for e easy for you to find. Um, other than that, freepeopleradio.com. Go, you know, find out where you can watch and listen to the podcast. If you haven't already, you can follow us on social media. Um, thank you to the entire War Room Posse out there. The numbers are looking great on Rumble. Uh, the War Room Posse, we're getting introduced to new MAGA America First, ultra MAGA citizens and constituents. Uh, We're answering day. as much social media as we can. Absolutely. We're in touch with the community members. Thank you to the entire War Room crew, Maureen Bannon, Grace Chong, the great Steve Bannon for streaming the podcast on Rumble and Getter. 
Um, and I want to say in closing, we are not discouraged. We are not demoralized about the result of this most recent election. If they're going to cheat, they're going to have to cheat big because we're going to show up in numbers that we've never showed up in before. You can see the panic button. That CNN just hit the panic button. They said, for the first time, Donald Trump has overcome Joe Biden in men of color at the, in, the, in the latest polls, in a, in a landslide. Men of color are going over the hill. So the more and more we preach the message, the more and more we talk about the politics and people become aware. To each other. The more and more it's going to be hard for them to cheat because you have to account for the spiritual outcome of the election and what people take away from it as well as the material mathematic result. So with that being said, thanks for being here for another episode. We appreciate your viewership and listenership today and in the future. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.